Live from the William Howard Taft Memorial Auditorium in the Pivotal Film Tower, high above the New Haven skyline, honoring the best of 2019, this is the second annual Pivotal Film Awards! Now welcome our hosts, Thomas Nolan and Mario Ponzio. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. I I don't know if you know this, but we actually have to pay that man in Quaaludes. He only wants Quaaludes. It's hard to get Quaaludes now that it's not the 80s. Yeah. It is tough. We got to call it B. Yeah, the time is... B will know where it is. That's our our new nickname for, for... Good old Brett B. Uh, yeah. B. You know what's funny is that I type him so much into my phone that my phone knows. Their phone now just shows it just... photos of his 31 year old <laughs> aging lover. Yeah, that's the interesting aspect of his podcast is that feel... it's really just about Todd Michael Schultz getting old. Yeah. I feel like we should do a should do a monologue, but we don't have anything good. I mean, whatever it'd be, we'd be better with than like what Ricky Gervais did. We're no crawl. Oh man, I Mulaney. don't know. I love I love Ricky Gervais. No, that fucking monologue was terrible. I oh, it was so mean and snarky and but great. It was, like, it was dumb snarky. It was like, oh, hi, I'm another rich white guy making like controvert, not really controversial opinions. And but that's you why it's place. it's funny because it's so like anachronistic to the 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 tone of the evening, which is supposed to be like jubilant and kind of a party, and there's all these drunk people, and there's just this guy. It's like, I don't care. Like, whatever. I don't know he's, like, fake not caring. Yeah. But I actually also think he doesn't care. I don't think he cares. It's just, I don't know. It's great. I'm, I'm over him and Dave Chappelle existing. I'm, I, I just, I don't care enough to be over them. So when they come out to do, like, something kind of funny, I'm like, all right. They still didn't have, the Oscars still don't have the Muppets hosting, which mm-hmm. is a bummer. But anyways, this is the Pivotal Film Awards, our favorite episode of the year. Me and Tom, Tom and I have been doing this for almost a decade now. Mm. Usually at a bar, just whispering to each other. And just shaking our heads at each other and not having to, and, and Tom, not having to answer Tom, on the mics Tom to every each other. so often going, what? Mm. It's always my favorite one. And me going like, well, that was expected. That was expected. <laughs> that was expected. I, I typically hide some of my personal, real personal opinions, and you're you're pretty much like an open book. Like I think I think I have a feeling of a movie that's going to feature very prominently on your lists. <laughs> the one that I've been saying for, <laughs> like for nine months. I'm not this even sure, not even sure if you know what my number one's going to be yet. I actually don't. I it's funny. So you texted me before about what were we texting before about the the order of the oh, awards? Oh no, we were talking about waves, and I was saying how which I did not see. Did there not are some see. movies I didn't see because. I watched. I didn't it. see this... like Les Misérables. I didn't see. Um, I didn't end up seeing. Uh, what's some other ones? I didn't end up seeing Honeyland. Um, Clemency. We never got. You mean got? <laughs> I don't know uh, where that is. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I'm going to say Clemency and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I'm just considering to be 2020 films. Yeah, for me. I actually don't know if Clemency exists. Yeah, I don't. Know I if think that a movie... bunch of people wrote reviews <laughs> on like pictures of Alfie like Woodard just like looking really shared, intense. A shared delusion. Yeah, I think so. I don't know where this movie is. No. <laughs> it's really fascinating. But I talked to I, I watched. I got up really early this morning. I, I didn't got see waves. Just Mercy. I'm sorry. Um, 
And I texted you and I was like, I, I just have to watch it for Sterling K. Brown. I need to see if Sterling K. Brown gets on the list. And, and I was like, well, he's not going to get on the list. Spoiler alert. And you were like, oh, do I have to watch it? And I was like, I forget what I said. And part of me was like, I think you're going to think the same thing I think. It, but I also, in my mind, was like, I actually don't know what Mario thinks about anything anymore. Like, when I think, I, when I think he's going to go one way, you always go the other way. And I just, I think, I've been thinking a lot about this in terms of this awards or too. I think looking at these films so intensely and, like, so myopically... Makes us lose our mind. Right. I think our tastes are, like, a little bit changing. And what we want out of a film is kind of becoming... I don't know. You're different. What I assume your number one is, is what I would have assumed your number one would have been for decades. Yeah, but my number one, I've also said is my number one <laughs> openly on the air for nine months. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But I think I would have not been surprised for it to be You'll probably You could probably guess... Yeah, it doesn't matter. Let's let's do it, this. Mario. I will say this for this year. I don't know. Why I picked that up. Don't mention that on air. Um, the quarter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nothing blew me away this year. Mm-hmm. Like my top five are movies I think are really good, but I don't love anything from this year. Yeah. I don't like my like I didn't melt over anything this year. I had Not a- like last year where like widows ended up on my pivotal film list. Yep. None of these movies are going to show up anywhere. I had that. four movies that really did it that really like was like oh that's in including like a movie we talked about a lot um that's going to be on both of our lists and it's going to be featured prominently on both of our lists um we feel different things about it and we're going to get to that um but i just had a big huge fucking pile up of stuff that was i enjoyed but you know yeah it was i I don't know how to i you know aspects of it i liked i didn't like lots of aspects of it i had trouble putting some things on like a top 10 list i was like well because that doesn't go there because of the whole first hour and a half or this can't go there because of these performances are terrible or whatever i had a lot but like i enjoyed the movie i i I didn't dislike it but it's not i couldn't compare it against anything because it was i didn't consider it like a good a a good movie you know i mean it wasn't Mm. like a top 10 list thing it was hard it was harder this year than it was last year. Last year was so fucking easy. I knew what those top ten were like in like ten seconds. Well, last it was year, just like, last what year there order was like they movies I wanted on a list that I couldn't put on. Because like last year had a lot of movies that I really liked um, that just couldn't fit. And I didn't feel that way this year. Like I don't, I don't feel guilty leaving stuff off. Yeah. I feel weird having stuff on. Yeah, like no, to be, exactly. To be exactly. honest with you, uh, let's let's stop talking about it and get to the first top ten, I guess. Um, <laughs> Which is going to be our best moments yep. of the year. We started at this is the one category we have, which is in an Oscar category, um, because you know sometimes moments make the movie. Uh, I guess I'll start on this one, sure, just because we're going to start out with a with a bang here from Avengers Endgame. Oh yeah, which part? The black the Black Widow sacrifice because. Of all those weird sort of like twists and turns they ever done, that was the one time that the superhero bullshit has ever made me go like, oh, I actually did not see that coming. Yeah, and it was like pretty well crafted and well done in the sense of making you pretty sure Hawkeye's gonna kill himself and have mm-hmm. a last second twist that actually like adds the most minor bit of emotional weight to it. Mm-hmm. Um so I thought like from a from a from its genre, that was that was an impressive moment. Yeah, that one was weird too because it had the added weight of like all of this capitalist advertising stuff going on where like I feel like fairly close to that date they announced like they were like the Black Widow movie was coming out. It's like, oh, but there's a Black Widow movie, and now she's dead. What does that mean? Oh, oh yeah. we gotta go figure this out now. You know what I mean? It's like they're just they're constantly trying and to sell stuff. Going like it was a prequel, renew all along. Yeah, um, but I, that movie, that part of that, those two movies, um, 
as a really interesting kind of addition to the Marvel Universe, especially with like the spirit red skull stuff. That's kind of awesome. And it looks really good, too. Mine is... Um, my number 10 is like a weird... It's like a, it's like a fraction of a moment. I have the end of Midsommar on my list, but mm-hmm. it's very specifically... It has nothing to do with the bear. It has nothing to do... Like, that. the bear is stupid. My moment is when um, Bobby Krillick, who did from the Hacks and Cloak did the score, he's got this pretty good theme running through the end of that. And it gets pretty heavy, and the theme gets pretty good. And then at some point, Florence Pugh, everyone's like shrieking and moaning in pain. And at some point, Florence Pugh is just kind of staggering, like across the screen, wearing this cloak of flowers and this thing. And it's it's like full daylight out and this just glorious score is going while people are screaming and things are burning. And it's just, this was a Florence Pugh year, um, folks. And that was like one of the most Florence Pugh things that I've, I'd seen. And it was, it was just, it's kind of burned in my memory. All of the, my moments this year are moments that are burned in my memory, not forever. But when I think about the movie, I think about this one part. And that was, it was at that moment that I was kind of like, all right, I like that movie. You know, it wasn't a great film, but I liked it. And I liked it because of that. It was like that that was the right kind of unhinged. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Where I think Ari Aster was trying to hint at unhingedness through the whole thing. But all he needed to do was put Florence Pugh in a dress of flowers and play some awesome music behind it. And that's that's the right stuff. That's the good stuff. You want to snake it? Or you no, want to snake it. All right, so it. snake it. My number nine is um, Ephraim Kills the Seagull in the Lighthouse. Um the Lighthouse was a movie that we talked about, um, or like one of the movies we talked about that was kind of on my list for a while, and then just kind of kept going because I liked it, I, I enjoy it, but um, I don't know. It's just I don't know why I watched it. Um, but one of the pleasures of watching it is watching Robert Pattinson freak out and grab a seagull by the neck and bash it to death on a cistern, and then look in the cistern, and that cistern is is filled with blood and other things. So, you know, <laughs> it, was a, it was a positive experience at that moment. That's actually pretty, it's pretty nice and coincidental. I did this, uh, Old's Hark speech is my number nine yeah. from Lighthouse. Um, I'll say this, Defoe misses my list this Me year. Uh, he was, he was my number six. Um, you know, like the supporting actor category is probably like one of my hardest ones. Me too. Director, supporting actor and director. Um, a lot of people missed that I wanted to put on supporting actor. That's the one category I'm like really excited about. But that that speech is just, it's funny, it's scary all in once. And then Pattinson's just great delivery of like, all right, I like your I like your cooking. Well, that's, I had a bunch of moments from that that I kind of wanted to put on. Mm. Um, doesn't come together as a whole, but it, it follows, has a bunch of little yeah. patches that and are like follows, great. It follows like that what 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 scene, like yeah. the one part where you're convinced like Roger Eggers could actually write a good screenplay, and you're like, mm. no wait, no, the rest of the movie's surrounding it. Uh, my number eight from Two Popes is uh, Francis's um, turn to God and like away from love. That mm-hmm. entire kind of sequence where he has the that conversation, sequence. yeah, the conversation yeah. in the confessional where he finds out the you know he kind of has that message from God, um, leading to that really beautiful kind of like color shot when he's looking over the vista and then he goes back and talks to um, I can't remember her name right now off the top of my head um, to break up with her after mm-hmm. they got engaged. Uh, that just is like a real kind of like unifying moment. In setting out, um, you know, Francis has, mm-hmm. has this really human character. Yeah, yeah, I love, um, I love that part. I love that movie. Fernando Mirielis is. We'll be talking about yeah. it a bit. Um, <laughs> my number eight is from the Peanut Butter Falcon. It is when Zach 
dressed as a peanut butter falcon and is getting his ass beat by Jake the Snake. Picks him up and throws him out of the ring. The Atomic Flyer. Yeah, I forget what it's called, but I, I remember. I love that movie. It doesn't show up anywhere on my list, but that yeah. is a really solid film. I. It was one of those moments when you watch a movie and you're like, it's a thing. I just I liked watching it, but then when that happened, when it crosses over into this kind like of magic realism, and you're just, my mouth is just like. Just like, I couldn't believe Jake it. Jake the Snake is like frozen solid. Yeah. And well, Nick Foley's like, ah! And I had just, me and my brother had just seen Jake the Snake at the outer, at the ballroom when he did his speaking tour thing. I heard that was good. It was okay. Oh, okay. It was, <laughs> it was pretty rough. Um, but he, it, that was... He wasn't drunk. No, I, no, he wasn't drunk. Okay. No, he DDP, just... DDP yoga helped him. Yeah, well, he talked a lot about DDP. He talked a lot about Mr. Fuji being a real fucked up guy. DDP still wrestling. Is he? he wrestled last week. He looks good. Yeah, really, I'm not even kidding. Like he's doing like dives off top ropes and everything. Oh, nice. He's yeah. he's not a young man. I 63. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that was a, that was an no, awesome. That's a great. That's that was an awesome scene. scene. Um. My number seven is I think probably a movie that I, I doubt very much is going to show up on your list at all. Um. It is on my list a bunch in a, a bunch of different capacities. It is, um, the flame crawl. No. <laughs> It's definitely not crawl. Uh, it is the flamethrower scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, yeah. I'm t- <laughs> yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood shows up zero times much. tonight. Um, you know, it's... I'm I know it's a bad I know movie. everyone talks about the bread. Well, that's a, I'm not saying that like any yeah. of this stuff is bad, but it's just not, you know. Yeah. Um, I know everyone talks about like the Brad Pitt, like the ultraviolence and stuff. It's not... That scene doesn't come together until... That woman gets thrown into the pool, and Leonardo DiCaprio just casually like saunters over to his shed, and then casually saunters back, and just blowtorches this girl. Um, you know, and it's maybe I shouldn't be laughing at it, and I'm sure we're losing fans left and right now that I think, but it's so fucking funny. No, Leonardo it's, DiCaprio it's, it's is so it's, it's, good. It's a comedic scene. But I didn't, I didn't see it coming. I think that's one of the things that no. I kind of liked about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is that like. It consistently did things that I really didn't see coming. And sometimes they really worked, and like in this sense, and sometimes they didn't work. Like when Brad Pitt punched that guy in the face at on the on the ranch there, where it was just like this seems like a steep a steep tilt into ultraviolence, like <laughs> really quick. Yeah. Um but doesn't matter. Flamethrower scene. It was great. It was, it was a very, very humorous and memorable scene. Speaking of moments that end in ultraviolence, my number seven is it's kind of a cheat. It's an entire, like, 15, 20-minute long sequence of a film. We got one of those in mind, too. Kelly Summers' sequence, uh, Jennifer Carpenter's sequence in Dragged Across Concrete. Um, that's a huge turn in that film for me. And, like, just, it, it, like, her begging to see her, like, you know, infant and, like, that entire, like, emotional kind of postpartum depression leading into just a really fucked up bank heist scene mm-hmm. where she gets her hand blown off and then her face explodes um, really establishes, like, the fact that you're going to hate, like, Thomas Crutchman and all that and this entire group of villains and everything. Yeah, we didn't happen. know until that moment that well, we you, hated <laughs> We hated think, the villain. I mean, I mean, but that, like, really sets it apart. Like, yeah. it's the S. Craig Zeller sort of thing. That fucking part, that entire scene just, like, building, like, such, like, a, a pretty emotionally manipulative but convincing kind of um depth to a character mm-hmm. in a sense of like uh, an emotional attachment to a character just worked for me yeah it's funny because that's like the one scene in that movie that i'm i kind of could do without 
And I yeah, we talked about that. I've thought review. a lot about drag, way more about drag across concrete than I really ever wanted to. When I was, especially when I was making this list, I was like, I feel like I, like I want to represent it somehow. Um, but yeah, I just think about, you know, I think about other stuff. I think about it's, like Mel it's got Gibson's twenty-seven face. nominations tonight for me. <laughs> I would not be surprised at all <laughs> if you just like turned completely into Escrig Zoller territory, which would be fine. Um, all right. So my number six is actually a moment of uh, kind of like a turn away from that instead of like doing monotional manipulation. Instead, just like a really artistic representation of two characters that kind of gets you close to them early on. And that is the entire opening skateboarding sequence into the city. Uh, with Jimmy and Montgomery mm. from Last Black Man in San Francisco. It's it's such a calm, quiet moment. You get that great score. I don't know who, the, who did the score on that. Mm-hmm. Um, does not get nominated, so that's why I don't remember off the top of my head. But, it, you know, you just get the closeness to it. You get the city. The city's a yeah. character in it. And just, like, everything that needs to be represented in that. Um, I think Joe Tabalt, who actually kind of just barely misses my director's... You know, does a lot of work in that. Like I said, Last Black Man of San Francisco is a movie that kind of like stuck in my head and slowly is going to creep up. It's funny because I'd be surprised that like in ten years if we're still in this podcast. If, yeah, yeah. If, if America hasn't exploded, um, probably will. Uh, if like that movie doesn't somehow like make my top of like yeah twenty ten to twenty nineteen. I almost then... put the um, when he falls off the skateboard. Um, that moment almost hit my moments list just because like the speed that they get at and like. You know, we talked a lot about um, skateboarding last year when we did Minding the Gap. Um, there's a recklessness to that moment, like, where he actually captures, like, the danger of, you know, skateboarding down, mm-hmm. like, one of San Francisco's hills. So, um, mine, number six, is, like, your number seven. It is a big chunk of time. It is act four in uh, Her Smell. Um, so, when Elizabeth Moss is, is coming down... And she's at that house, and she plays a Brian Adams song on the, the piano, on the part. piano for her daughter, and then just it's just quiet through the whole thing. Um, you know, it's the weird breath that you kind of never thought you were going to get, um, but it's not even like a good breath. It's like a, a really emotional, um, like painful breath that they just ask you to take for you know twenty five minutes um, or however long it lasts for. And then she has yeah you know, she has a conversation with the bass player, and um, you know. It's a it's a really interesting movie. It's a great um, a great performance, and it's in a movie that just kept building and building and building. The chaos just kept building and building and building. It was like a uh, it was another one of those kind of DiCaprio esque surprises where you just didn't think you were going to get this thing, and then like here is this thing, and it just makes it that much more powerful. Um, my number five is weird because I'm not a hundred percent sure it's like a movie. <laughs> or part of the movie it's like a thing that happened in real life and it's like a thing that you could hear in real life but it's in the movie it's from the Diego Maradona documentary um, that was on HBO this year that we'll talk a little bit about later it was when Maradona scores his second goal versus England in the 1986 World Cup so the first I didn't, I didn't see this one so well, it was good the first goal he scores famously is the phantom hand goal where he touches the ball but they don't call it they don't call that he touched it, but they've got a great shot of him, like, palming this ball like a basketball, and his head is, like, you know, four or five inches away from it. The second goal, though, is a legitimate goal, and and I would love to – I'm going to put it – I'm actually going to include it in here. Um, the announcer literally goes fucking crazy. You know what I mean? He 
you know, um, thanks God. He, you know, is just screaming his head off in a very stereotypical soccer goal type moment. But the the joy that is just coming off of the screen while you're watching this is, I almost like was tearing up when I did. It. I almost like wanted to raise my hands and be like, yes, like you even though it's a became, thing that happened like forty years ago. Yeah, you became a a much comment. At that point, too. You became a soccer fan at that point well, as well. Well, it's funny. It's being married to, uh, like, someone whose family is from Argentina every four years. Like, we all kind of become Argentina soccer fans because the United States fucking sucks. So, we, you know, we congregate. Over- right there with Pope Francis. Yeah. We, well, that's, so we've had lots of conversations about the two popes, too. Um, we congregate over to the house, watch soccer, but it's just, it's just like the passion and the joy. And it's, it's just, you know, um, it's just like a great moment. It's a great movie moment, and it feels like a movie moment, even though it's not like a it's not a movie per se. It's a sporting event, but um, yeah. So that's my number five. All right, go ahead. My number five um, is Amy's speech on gender dichotomy from Little Women, <laughs> and just that entire it's that, it's that nice turn with that speech with Lori, mm-hmm. um, where that character goes from being a child to being you know grown up. It's like mm-hmm. the real first like establishment of Amy as this like central character and this like powerful kind of powerful. Fi- Powerful figure. And, like, a lot of people... Like, there's been some... I think there was, like, a Salon article saying, like, Amy still sucks. I think it's Salon and all that. But it's like, no. Come on. Like, Greta Gerwig and Florence Pugh do enough work with that character to, like, make it... All the other adaptations of Little Women I've seen, yeah, she always sucks throughout it. But that, like, just that delivery and then that character turned after why that. why does she suck? Because she stole oh, Lori? Cause yeah, because she still Come burns. On, man. No, no, not that. It's like she burned them papers and blah, blah, blah. It's like, She's fine. Yeah. She wrote the book. Fuck you. Ugh. On the topic of Florence Pugh, this is my weirdest one, and I'm surprised I put this here. I, I just don't know how, but it stuck with me. It's a, it's a another emotionally manipulative moment uh, from Midsommar, and it's the entire murder suicide opening ish. Oh yeah, 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 into just her fucking wails. Yep. Um, you know, it's it's the one part of that movie where I thought Ari Aster had like a good grasp on narrative direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's the most horrifying scene of it. Like in terms of just like casual sort of violence, um, not casual violence, but really like emotionally detrimental violence, but like casual violence in the sense of what would follow, like the gore that follows. It is not too extreme, uh, but it is the one that hits you the most and just mm. Florence Pugh's just screams after that really set the tone for everything. But it's just the most passive violence in the whole thing. Yeah. Because it's already happened. So we're just looking at it and while everything follow, else you get to watch people and, die and there was for like the rest of the movie. That, like the entire following the tube shot and all yeah. that. Like, like it's a smart choice. Like it gets you into the it gets you in the mood. It it makes you really excited for a movie that doesn't follow. You're I think you're right. You and it I think that's one of the the problems that doesn't it doesn't pay off that like feeling intense feeling of darkness doesn't go anywhere. So mm. is it my turn? Yep. Oh, okay. So my number four is um, what we've been talking about for a while. It is the two eyes and parasite when the mom mm. is telling um, the Korean spirit almost. Yeah. Um, about her son and like, he's downstairs just, you know, getting his sneak in his birthday cake and just see the two eyes pop up in that fucking, the basement door with surrounded by orange and they're like a greeny kind of glow in the dark. Oh, it's just the best. It's just the best. I think this is as much as we're going to talk about Parasite tonight. So yeah, that's it. That's, I mean, that's the end. Um, my number three is, uh, we'll go back to little women. It is when Joe and Lori, uh, dance 
on the on the porch there um, at the ball. They danced together. Um, it's where I kind of became an Alexandra Desplat fan, who is someone that I actively disliked his music. Yeah, um, actively dislike him, and we'll not talk about him later on. Yeah, no, I, it's, it hurt me. I'm gonna I'm be honest with you. It hurt me a little bit because I think he, I think he's ruined movies. But that, but this one he elevates, and this scene where it kind of almost wants to cross over into one of those like Romeo and Juliet style, you know, modern hipster films. You know what I mean? Where there's like a little bit of modern dance going on, but Saoirse Ronan and Timothy Chalamet sell like real joy so like convincingly that I was just like, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm in, I'm in. It was just great. It's a great moment. Spoiler alert, really quick. I don't do spoiler alerts, but this is still a movie I think people should see. If you think about Japanese horror movies at all, spoiler alert for like 30 seconds. The cut. One cut from the dead. Mm -hmm. um, of the dead. Uh, just one of the few moments like in, in recent history. This is my number three. That I was like, oh, shit. Didn't see that coming at mm -hmm. all. Like That's that's like one of the best twists um, in, in recent Those memory. are good just, ones, yeah. Just the cut. Because you're watching a really bad kind of movie. For 30 minutes, and you're like, oh, what? Why is this so... Oh! And then what follows is, makes sense. Yeah, I don't think I've ever forgiven you for that movie yet. What? Even though I liked it. I was, I was so fucking mad until that cut came. I was so angry. But yeah, I know, it, it, like, it changes the whole thing. It changes yeah. the whole movie. Oh yeah, because if that cut doesn't happen, that movie sucks. But it's hard, it's hard to reconcile, though. It's hard to reconcile, I think, a little bit. I was still mad. Uh, <laughs> I was still mad at watching so much of that. My number two is the leap uh, onto the crane um, and the audio playing from "I Lost My Body." Mm. Um, just that entire sequence of her first hearing the car crash and whatnot, and then leading into her listening to him as he prepares in the cold to make that leap mm -hmm. um, after he's lost his hand. Uh, just you know that Dan Levy score, kind of like echoing constantly vibrating being the pulse of that mm -hmm. film throughout the background just an amazing sequence uh yeah i lost my body is a movie that i feel like everyone should watch like multiple times We're not talk like, about that even though. if you don't so that's, it. <laughs> that's, that's it. it for i lost my we're body. all done um it was my turn yeah oh wow okay uh my number two is the performance of um addiction we'll flip for number one. Oh yeah good um in pain in uh almodovar's pain and glory um so this is the piece that um, Antonio First thing Banderas. I was going to say, I didn't see that, but then I didn't. I was here at Amador's Pain and Glory, and I was like, what's that? And I was like, oh, oh yeah. Pain and Glory. Um, painted Glory. Um, <laughs> it's just, it, it, is, it is a wrenching scene because. Also, Painted Bird, we consider a 2020 film, too. Well, yeah, that is a 2020 film. Um, which will, or we'll redo this and be like, scrap all of it. <laughs> painted Bird. We don't care if it makes us bad people. Um, the weird thing about that performance is that it's, it's it's wrenching for like everyone involved. Even though Antonio Banderas isn't even there, like his character isn't there, he just like he's his presence is so overwhelming in the film that between these three guys, um, Francisco and um, oh, I forgot the character's name that's performing it. It doesn't matter because oh, we just want to move on. Um, it means something so deeply to everybody. That's to to those three people, and um, it's a uh, it's a really just amazing um, piece of filmmaking. It's not like the most sophisticated, you know, visually piece of filmmaking, but emotionally, it's um, 
you know, almost unmatched. And it's kind of that scene and those performances have kind of kept this movie, you know, fairly elevated with me all year. So, all right, Mario's going to flip a quarter. I'll flip it. You call it? Yep. Heads. Tails. Uh, I'll go first. Okay. Uh, the taxi ride in transit. Um, just, you know, focusing on Greg Gar as he kind of sits there after she says, like, oh, I'm going to see my husband there and I can't wait to see him. He always just kind of sits there on the thing. Mm-hmm. And just like his look. Has, it's, it's, it's the graduate to the extreme to me. It's, oh, my God. It's <laughs> like there's so much. There's uh, so much legitimate pain there. Yeah. Um, just, just a great. I mean, it's, it's hard to explain much. It, it's a movie that should be seen, and that especially for that particular sequence. Well, you know what? It's super hard. I was making my best actor list, and I'm not going to spoil anything. And it was, it's a hard performance to kind of nail down, like in words, but you remember what it felt like watching him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it, in that like that moment is one of those moments where you're just like, oh. Jesus Christ! It's like so he's so like vulnerable and open. He's not even he's not even really saying anything. He's yeah. just sitting in a taxi. Um, all right, my number one should be fairly obvious to any listeners of this podcast because I've talked about it literally a hundred times. I it, don't think I know the movie. It is from Claire Denis' High Life. What? It I is. I'm referred to it as it's referred to in the soundtrack listing. It is uh, the Rape of Boys. Um, it is the moment when my fucking head turned inside out. When Mia Goth's character... When everyone's so sexually frustrated um, that one guy gets up from his weirdo space bunk um, and he tries to rape Mia Goth's character boys. And that the score and the way it's filmed and the violence and like the real visceral nature of, of, of that violence and like how it hits... Coupled with those just kind of disgusting, fucked up drums. There's like, <laughs> and like that heavy, heavy bass that's rolling underneath everything. Um, it is, it was just amazing. And it's, a, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard scene to fucking watch, man. But it is, it is amazing. You know, it, it uh, I can't say enough about it. And I don't have to stop talking about it because we're going to talk about it a bunch today. <laughs> I'm shocked. Actually, not as much as I wanted to, but I think that's okay. Okay. Um, well, now we're going into the awards. All right, so let's take a quick break. I'll do a, I'll do a quick break. We'll recompose ourselves, and then and we'll start. All right, welcome back. I assume we did our little transition thing, right? We did the... Burn, 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 burn. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave some pivotal film in there. Okay, good. Yeah? We did it last year, so I just oh, want to okay, see good. if we're keeping the norm. No, no, we wanna, I want that kind of... People to get comfortable. And you know, the one thing I do like about the Oscars is starting out with some quote-unquote big awards. So uh, I figure we'll do what they usually do and start out with the supporting actors of the year um, and actresses. I always say supporting actors because, like, you know, whatever. Actor, actors, whatever. the gender difference is weird. Um, I know you ranked yours. Yeah. I didn't rank mine. So I guess I'll do my, like, list of five nominees I want you always to predict what you think's going to win, because sure. I always find that fun. Okay. And I'll ask my winner, then you can do your rankings. Are we going to do actor or actress first? Oh, let's do actor first. Okay. Okay. My nominees for Best Supporting Actor, Tom Burke, The Souvenir, Jonathan Majors, Last Black Man in San Francisco, hmm. Timothy Chalamet, Little Women, Shia LaBeouf, Honey Boy, uh, Bay Collie, uh, Gannon Barr, The Nightingale. Hmm. 
I think I'm going to do the Jonathan Majors this year. Okay. You've been talking about that a lot. All right. My winner? Oh. Do you want me to do no, my I, four? I, oh, yeah, yeah. And then we'll announce our winners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like I'm going to go up from the bottom because I ranked mine um, because it's the only way my life could make any sense to me. Um, I got Tom Hanks, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, Song Kang-ho for Parasite. I put him in... I think they're all supporting. I don't think there's a lead right in that. Um. We, we're different. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm putting him in supporting. You put him in lead. Um, we both nominated him. Yeah. That's all I'll say. Uh, Noah Jupe for Honey Boy. Um, Asir... Extendia for Pain and Glory. Um, and do you want to? You want me to go oh, announce, or do you want my winner is Timothy Chalamet, Little Women. Very good. That makes me happy because I love that. My uh, winner is Shia LaBeouf, Honey Boy. In parentheses, uh, also Peanut Butter Falcon. <laughs> um, Shia LaBeouf is my number two. He is. Uh, unbelievable. I'm really not... I mean, not that we need to compare to the Oscars at all. I'm not 100% sure what the fuck happened. <laughs> like, with... You like know, Shia LaBeouf disappearing? I, I... Whatever with Joe Pesci and, like, you know, Al Pacino I mean, Joe Pesci, and, like, Joe Pesci was, happens. like, an almost miss for me. And Anthony Hawkins was an almost miss. Uh, I was pretty okay with knocking out Pacino. Um, but, like, Pesci, I kind of felt bad about leaving off. Notice there's no Brad Pitt there, Mario. Yeah. Was Brad Pitt even in like your top no, ten? God, no, God, no. Me neither. Well, I've I've talked about the fact like he hurts once upon a time in Hollywood for me. Yeah, he he was not even close to my list. Okay, best supporting actress. Do you want to do your your? I'll five do mine first. My, my five: uh, Julianne Nicholson, Manos, Penelope Cruz, Pain and Glory, Sonia Sone for High Flying Bird, Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit. Okay, my nominees for best supporting actress: Juliette Binoche, High Life. Park Sodom, Parasite, Scarlett Johansson, Jojo Rabbit, Tony Collette, Knives Out, Florence Pugh, Little Women. Um, I think we're gonna go. I think you're gonna go Little Women again here. Uh, my winner is um, Florence Pugh for mine is too Little Women. Yeah, I'm at my number one. Um, yeah, I think she's fucking. She owns the shit out of this movie. Like, um, I'm not sure how you can say she sucks. No, I'm no. not sure. How well, you no, can... they said they don't say. They say the character sucks. I don't know how they could say that Amy sucks, because she makes her very specifically not suck. Where she understands the ramifications of all the choices that she's making, and she still makes them. My number six in this was Laura Dern for Little Women. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Also, no, not not anywhere near my list either. Although she's okay in Marriage Story. No, she's good in Marriage Story. I'm surprised Julia Pinochet didn't make your list there. Yeah, I don't. I just. I don't know what to do with her. Oh, okay. Like I, I, I felt. I don't even get the impression Mia that Goff she's also acting. made my list too. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I think that's the problem with my problem with High Life is that I don't conceive it as a movie anymore. It's like a piece of art, and it's I just, don't know how to judge like components of pieces of art. It's just like Videodrome. Yeah. And you've inserted it into your stomach. It's just like Videodrome. <laughs> okay. Best sound editing. Now for we're going to. This do is the important awards now. We're doing. Three nominees each because who fucking cares? Uh, best sound editing. Uncut Gems, Ford versus Ferrari, The Lighthouse. Okay. Mine um, was, I also had Ford versus Ferrari as my number two. My number three was a movie called The Sound of Silence. Did you see this movie? Nope. It's got Peter Sarsgaard and Rashida Jones in it. It's literally about a guy who thinks everything in New York City is too loud and everything in New York City has a tone. And he walks around New York City with these fucking bells and tries to like 
find the tone of the city and like give people tips on how they can have let more quiet in their apartment. It is a, this is a Charlie Kaufman movie. No, no, it's a, I forget who I forget who made it. It's just a guy. Um, it's made for like no money. Nobody saw it. Um, but it was it it was a trip. And from a sound editing perspective, it's fucking great because they just it's like a movie about sound. It was really really good. Um, my number one um, was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for very obvious reasons that get discussed like ad nauseum in like the papers and like film editing and stuff like that. Well, I. Is this an uncut gems one? My winner, like easily, is the lighthouse. Yeah, the sound editing in that's just fucking phenomenal, and like that is the thing that like super elevates that film. Like Robert Eggers does a great job directing it. His his screenplay is what holds that film back. Um, but the sound editing in that's just like it, it's a constant tone See, of hell. And I'm going to agree with you in our, in our next category, where this is going to be a very pro lighthouse oh. sound thing. See, so. It doesn't it doesn't get nominated for sound mixing for me. Oh, see, I thought I'm. I'm thinking I of think the mixing. I should have put it in a mix. I mean, I wonder. Well, here's so let's just do it real quick, and then we can talk. My about it. nominees for sound mixing: Ford versus Ferrari, Ad Astra, Her Smell. Okay, Her Smell is my number two. Um, my number three is a movie we're going to talk about a bunch tonight. It's a, a Chinese film by this director Hu Bo. It's called named An Elephant Sitting Still. Um, it. Um, I never got around. Sad about it. I've heard great things about it. It's it's the four hour movie that you should actually that people should actually fucking watch. Um, it is, you know, it's a it's a it takes place over the course of a day. There's not a lot of score. There is some pockets of score, and we'll talk about the score later. Um, but the majority of the movie is made up of just street sounds. But the way that they kind of remember we talked about if Beale Street could talk last year about how like like he just uses these street sounds to kind of accentuate like, yeah. the reality. Um, and my number one is um, the lighthouse yeah. because of, because of some of the stuff that we talked about where like the score and the other sounds just kind of combine into this, you know, cacophony that he like wants us to believe is like the sound of a wave. Cause he's showing us a wave, but it's like something else. Yeah. All right. The visual effects. You only have three, right? No, I had five. I had a list. Okay. My five, um, Nominees are Ad Astra, 1917, The Lion King, The Irishman, and Captain Marvel. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I didn't put Ad Astra. I really started to hate Ad Astra after a while. I watched it again when we got it at the library, and it's I did, <laughs> it started I to kind of like, drive I me nuts. Yeah, me same, but like I couldn't deny the visual effects. It's like, it's like last year with me in First Man. Mm. So I put um, Alita Battle Angel. Um, That's your five? It's my number five because it's just crazy. But it actually kind of works. You know what I mean? It, like that live action anime shit kind of is creepy, but like yeah, no, it, it's, 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 it's kind of good. Um, Ford versus Ferrari. You know, this is another Once Upon a Time in Hollywood um, category. We're going to find these a lot just kind of like sprinkled in here for these technical awards. Um, weird. You know, I think probably the, for the same reason that you have the Irishman on there. You know what I mean? Like they just did a lot of like behind the scenes technical work here um my number two is that film shadow that's on it's on netflix right now it's that the guy that did um the house of flying daggers um Mm. well i'm gonna butcher this jang jang jimu um it's fucking crazy there's some crazy fucking stuff that happens in that movie i don't all the way get it because it's not my thing but it's bananas some of the stuff they do it's awesome it makes like not see shadow it makes like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, like that type of stuff seem like baby stuff. I feel like you've seen more movies than I saw this year. I don't think that's possible. <laughs> um, I don't think anyone has ever seen more movies than you've seen. And my number one is, I'm just going to do it as 1917. I, 
I'm not. I'm not gonna say Lion King. Is it Lion King? No, it's not the Lion oh, King. Oh, I thought this was gonna be a surprise one. The winner is the Irishman for me. Uh, just the the scope the, of it. Just, just the just the scope of it. Um, the work they did with I, I they, they didn't capture De Niro, but I think they did a really good job with Pesci mm-hmm. and Pacino, um, and some of the stuff they like ended up CGIing like the posters at points behind people mm-hmm. just because they didn't want to spend money on the production design of the posters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I'm always going to respect the technical aspects of creating new technology. Um, and, you know, watching the, like that short documentary they did on the three cameras creation in order to like film the actual actors, film certain scopes of their face and whatnot just was impressive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's going to be groundbreaking in terms of like what's going to come from that technology. Yeah, I kind of felt the and same. And that is it for me for the Irishman. <laughs> I don't have the Irishman at, at all tonight. I um, I kind of feel the same way about 1917, only in the sense that they didn't build anything, they didn't do anything different. But like, Deacons doesn't show up in cinematography because I does feel not show up like, in my cinematography. I feel like he he shot it all in digital with the explicit knowledge that they were going to stitch this together digitally, which meant that he was like part of the digital production of of this thing which yeah, felt, could only happen if they had I felt like an old technology sort of cinematography from Deacons. Um I don't know how to talk about that cuz I fucking hate Old Brother Rourke though. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is an evil movie. Okay, best hair and makeup. Uh and by if you know this podcast, you know what I think of when I think of makeup. My nominees are Judy, Midsommar, and Dragged Across Concrete. Dragged across concrete <laughs> for the for the hand, the hand, the face. I just I love that fucking like exploitation style gore. So and this the intestines. You got some intestines. That's in there. true. You got some good intestines yeah. in there. You got some good. You, fucking, and, hair and makeup is always just going to be Mario's best gore of the year. Mel category. Gibson's mustache looks really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I this is where I got. I, I threw the Joker in here. We talked about this. Um, some of the, like the. The makeup stuff when he's not wearing his full Joker thing is like very, like the makeup in the bathroom, like after he shot the guy with like the blood and stuff like that, it looks really good. After yeah. he kills that guy in his apartment, in in um the blood on his face, is the blood on his face, like just the all the white, and it's it's. I mean, I think Phoenix sells that stuff mm-hmm. better, but I think the makeup is really convincing. The I other, will not be talking about Joker. No, that's at it. All We're all done. Sure, okay. Um, my number two is us. Um. I yeah, it they, almost got to my number. I think, just think they had to list. do a lot of work like to make them, to separate them. Um, and then my number one's kind of a classic um, Little Women. Um, I don't know. I'm going to guess Dragged Across Concrete is your number one? Uh, my winner is just Judy. Judy, yeah. Just, they, they did a good job with the... I think so, thing. yeah. Um, okay. I mean, there's not much to say. I don't give a shit about hair and makeup. No, like, yeah. unless you unless you do like a really good job with your gore, mm-hmm. like obvious or, or your aging makeup. You know. Also, speaking of which, I ended up seeing Bombshell, and the makeup in that's not good. I don't. I think it's. I think Bombshell doesn't work on really any level. Any level? No, it does um, not. I don't know why everyone thinks that Charlie Theron's kind of transformation is 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 a positive. No, it looks it like, is it looks, creepy as shit. Yeah, it still looks like Charlie Theron, which is kind of like a new nose, <laughs> and with like a slit for a mouth. It's really really weird. All right, what's next? Uh, best costume design, Woo-hoo! which I forgot to write out. That's why I'm writing it out right now. Uh, my nominees are Midsommar, yep. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, The Nightingale, Little Women, and Ready or Not. Ready or Not. There you go. So we're, we're both going to throw some um, curveballs in here. My number five is Climax. 
because I like I like those movies when you put a bunch of people and you have to dress them all differently and their outfits kind of speak a little bit to their personalities. And um, the color design in that, like the, the saturation, not saturation, but the color design in that plays a big role in right. terms and of it's like just, the flow of the dance sequences. And not even that, but you have to be able to keep track of who all these people are as they move through this hellscape that they've created. Climax, I was bummed that Climax was not a movie that was able to climb higher up on my list because it really kind of affected me. Yeah, Climax isn't sure. That's it. This is all for Climax. But as I move through the year, Climax kind of... Um, An Elephant Sitting Still is shows a peer as well. Again, kind of similar in that they... Did you end up seeing Ashes the Purest White? I did not end up oh, seeing yeah. that, no. Me either. So. We talked about that last year, but I happened to see it for 2019. And then we forgot we it. Fucked up. <laughs> yeah, we did. Fucked up. Um, we admit our mistakes, viewers, listeners, and viewers. What? I, I, we don't see... Like, it's funny. Well, I saw all the best of lists putting Ashes the Purest White? So Ashes Pierce White and Ashes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, no, me too. But then I just had other stuff that I needed to get to. Yeah. It's a problem with not, this not being your fucking job. Is that you had to wait 10 weeks to see 1917. If this was our job, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, <laughs> our podcast would be so much better. Also, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Little Women. Um, I think yours is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. My winner? Yeah. My winner is Midsommar. My winner is Midsommar also. Yeah. So, um, I just think it's, they did a good job. Yeah, they did an excellent job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> On the I mean, costumes. I believe I'm the costumes. I'm, I was kind of surprised it didn't get nominated for the Oscar for that one. Um, I, yeah, I'm surprised it didn't sneak into a couple technical categories. But yeah. the Oscars only, they're only giving awards to 10 movies this year. Like, yeah. the same 10 movies just got most of the nominations, so. Speaking of movies that have to get nominations, let's do documentary. All right. This is a bad year for documentaries. Last year this was like was two one. documentaries I was really excited about. Like I said, I didn't see Honeyland. Um, I did not. I ended up watching it, like part of Edge of Democracy, and I just didn't give a shit. Yeah. I just didn't give a shit about anything um, this year. So surprisingly, uh, Rolling Thunder Review gets in there for my first nominee, uh, Apollo 11 and Leaving ne- Netherland. Oh, that's the um, Michael Jackson one? Mm-hmm. Um so I did. I did five. You want to do the five? Oh yeah. Go ahead. So the Maiden uh, or, or Maiden by, by Alex Holmes. That's the movie about the um, Tracy Edwards, who was the first woman to have an all-woman crew win this prestigious boat race. Um, it's on there for purely emotional reasons. I thought it was like an Iron Maiden. It's a fairly okay. standard issue documentary, um, but it gets its job done. My f- number four is the Image Book by Jean-Luc Godard. It is. It is Banana Town. It is a mishmash of things. Um, I think I get it. Um, but some of the... He manipulates film in a way that is kind of fucking with my head um, long after. It's, I think it's only number four because I don't understand what I'm looking at. <laughs> I don't understand what I'm looking at. And I think he was trying to hurt me. Um, my number three is Toni Morrison, The Pieces I Am by Timothy Greenfield Sanders. Number two is the Diego Maradona by Asif Kapadia, who did the Amy documentary, which I think sucks ass. Um, do you my, think I like that Diego Maradona documentary? It's I think it, it plays like a regular documentary. I like sports much, documentaries. Though. It's much more complicated. It's okay. great because it has this modern Diego Maradona narration um, telling you things while you get to watch like the period Maradona that he's talking about do things. And so he's saying all of these things about how he has to be Maradona. Like people are expecting to be Maradona. And, and you know, when I'm out in public, I have to play this persona. He looks scared fucking shitless through the whole movie. Like, when he was... So, he... You know, he comes up in, in Argentina, and then he gets... He signs a deal to play in, I believe, Spain. 
and he fucks that up somehow, and they sell him to this uh, to the Naples team, um, who is a terrible, terrible, terrible soccer team, and he makes them relevant, and then he wins the World Cup, um, and it's just everybody loves Maradona. He's like a god in Naples, um, but he and he thinks he is a god. He thinks he's acting like a god, but you get to see him. And he is clearly not thinking he's a god at any point during this whole thing. It's this weird... So it becomes this weird thing about, like, myth-making and, like, self-mythologizing. Like self so it's not even people saying it. It's him believing something that's 100% not true. And my number one is a movie that we talked about, um, or a movie I talked about on our thing. It is uh, David Shields' Lynch, A History. Um, I'm, I'm willing to eat crow on this one i love david shields i love this movie it is found footage on from youtube of Mar marshawn lynch interviews interspersed with cultural moments making these awesome points uh it's great it's a great movie um i don't know what your number one is uh, i don't even have is it rolling thunder review no it's, it's leaving netherland i did not watch that was it bad it was, no, it was, no no but i mean like was it bad like is it hard oh, no, to watch it's, it's, a, it's a hard watch yeah um, i couldn't do it but it's not it's not great <laughs> It was all the like, stuff that we were supposed like it's not all the stuff we were supposed to like I could not get into it. Like Honeyland was not do it. I know everyone loved it. it got two Oscar nominations it did not do anything for me. Um yeah. What was the second nomination in? Oh, foreign, foreign film. Foreign yeah. film. International feature. Yeah. Um All right, best animated film. My nominees are The Lego Movie 2, <laughs> Primal, I didn't see that one. Um, and I lost my body. Primal's a weird one because it was initially it's a TV. It's, it was an Adult Swim TV series. Mm -hmm. but then it got condensed into a film and then submitted for the animated feature film category. And I was like, "Fuck it, I'm nominating it because these year, this year in animated films sucked." Yeah, um, I had Primal's oh. really good though. Primal's it's like does a lot of like non. It's not gonna win, so I'm so I'm gonna talk about it really quick. It has like almost. No, it has no dialogue, um, so all the storytelling is just through action, um, or basically no dialogue, um, and just like it's a real mix of like beauty and like violence and whatnot. It's, it's a good, mm -hmm. it's like a caveman basically and a dinosaur sort of huh. thing. Um, it's it's a good watch. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it it's, it's a, a Genady uh, Tartovsky. Um, he did Samurai Jack. Oh, okay. And all, that, so. all right. Interesting. Um, I got. Boonwell in the Labyrinth of Turtles is my number three. I Lost My Body is my number two. My number one is this Latvian movie called Away, made entire in its entirety by this guy, Gintz Zibalotis. Um, it is it is fucking crazy. I'm like I've started working on an essay about it. Um, it's very surreal. A kid wakes up and he's hanging from a tree in a desert from a parachute and uh he's being followed by this huge amorphous black thing there's no dialogue it's just him and a bird riding on a motorcycle it almost play it was funny to watch it after 1917 and everyone's kind of complaining that 1917 plays like a lot like a video game where this plays a lot like a video game in the sense that like you know uh the game starts you acquire gear you get a map you move forward um but it's one of the best depictions i think of um like the weird liminal state between childhood and growing up that mm. I've, I've seen in a really long time. Um, and it, it shows up in another um, thing. And he did the, So he did all the animation. He did everything. He wrote the score. He did everything. Um, 
I, I highly recommend it. I, I think it's on Amazon right now. I think it's like 99 cents on Amazon. Well, I, I haven't seen it yet. Um, but it's one of those things that like when I was compiling things I have to see, I was like, all right, this one. And then I saw it. I was like, and it just, it just blew me away. It's, it's, it's a real, uh, it's a, it's, it doesn't look like much, you know what I mean? But it's, it's, it's a heavy film. I will have to check that out. Um, I mean, do you, do you want to, do you want to take a, take a shot at what wins my award? I think I lost my body one. Oh, <laughs> what do you, what do you know? It does win. Um, I didn't know I needed to actually say that. We will, I'm not going to say anything about it right now because we'll be talking about that movie throughout the night. So. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Uh, did we, did you do a best foreign film? Yeah. Okay, because I forgot to do the best. How many nominees do you have on that? Just five. You have five? Okay. Uh, but they're all things that kind of appear in other capacity on my on my list. Okay. Um, do you want to do that? Yeah, yeah, go Okay, ahead. so best foreign film. I got Manos, Alejandro Londes. I got Transit, Christian Petzold. My number three is Pain and Glory. My number two is An Elephant Sitting Still. Um, why don't you do yours, and then we my can both sing our are... number one. Oh, oh, oh. My nominees are I Lost My Body, Parasite, Transit, One Cut of the Dead, and Monos. Is yours not Parasite? Mine is not Parasite. <gasps> is it I Lost My Body? My number one's Transit. Wow, okay. Transit. I mean, I'm not surprised. Um, mine's Parasite. I mean, we're going to be talking about Transit a lot. Again, a couple times, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm not surprised. You really, that seems like a, a, um, a new Mario movie. Parasite is, is my number, is my three from that list. Oh, wow. Okay. Hmm. It's hard. Parasite is tough. Yeah. Well, like I said, Parasite's a fucking amazing movie. Emotionally, I don't connect to Parasite. Yeah. Weird. It's a weird movie. I can't, kind of can't wait to buy it. I hope Criterion picks it up. Like, immediately. They're, they're finally getting Grant, uh, Great uh, Budapest Hotel. But you're excited about that. I am not. It's a movie that's not going to show up when we talk next week on our most anticipated of 2020. This new Wes Anderson thing. All right, what's next, Mario? Uh, next up is uh, Best Original Song. Oh, this is always our most fun one. Um, all right, so I'll go first. I think we're going to have really disparate lists. My oh, I'm number- sure we will. My number... <laughs> Not that it matters, really. Uh, my number three is uh, the song Nobody's Watching by Jason Isbell from the film Adopt a Highway. Um, my number two, which is a really small movie directed by Logan Marshall Green starring Ethan Hawke. Um, and a pretty good Ethan Logan Hawke. Marshall Green directed a movie this year? Yeah. Oh, good friend. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, budget Tom Hardy. It's, oh, it's my phone. Um, it's an okay movie. Ethan Hawke is pretty good in it. He's doing very Ethan Hawkey things. Uh, but Jason Isbell is like this, uh, you know, uh, modern country music, country rock guy. Uh, and he's very good. And this song is really good. Um, fits the movie perfectly. My number two is Control, um, written by Alicia Bogana, Bognano from Her Smell. It's the closing song from Her Smell that they all play together. Um, her, uh, you know, um, the, uh, Becky something and um, the Acres all play it. Um, and then my number one, or do you want to do your two and then we'll do our number ones? Or do you want to just say my number one? Um, Doesn't my, matter. On, on, yeah. Uh, I mean, I could, I'll name my three nominees. Sure. And then you can guess. Uh, the catchy song from Lego Movie 2, John LaJolie. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's T-Pain or what, what the hell was, was he? Who the people actually sang it? It's a John LaJolie. John LaJolie wrote it. 
T Pain, and I forget who the other person was. Yeah, the main person. Who cares? Uh, Turning Teeth from Under the Silver Lake by Jesus and the Brides of Dracula, aka the Silver Sun Pickups, mm. and the Buddy Song from Child's Play, Mark <laughs> Hamill and Brer Mercury. Um, Child's Play, or is it the catchy song? My winner is the Buddy Song from Child's Play. <sighs> it adds a lot to that movie. And it opens up the movie and like it sets like this weird tone and it's just fucking hilarious. Yeah, I didn't. I, I wish Child's Play was my thing. I wish I could join you on that adventure. Just I can't. I just can't do it. Uh, my number one is Glasgow from Wild Rose, um, which is weird. Performed by Jesse Buckley, written by Kate York, Caitlin Smith, and Mary Steenburgen. Mary Steenburgen, like the Mary Steenburgen. <laughs> she just couldn't take it. Couldn't take much of Ted Danson anymore. I, so she's got to write this. Got to write this it's song. Like what it's become since he started in the Good Place. Um, yeah, it was, I, it was weird. That was a trip to find. They're out. still married, right? Yeah. yeah okay, good. I think they're very happy. Oh, good. That's good to hear. I think they were both on Mark Maron's show, like really close together, and they were talking about how happy they are. So nice. I know we're worried. We're always worried about them. Yeah. I mean, after that scare with uh, Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman, you know, you have to worry about anything can like happen. Best original score. Oh. We're starting into the categories I now give a shit about. Yeah. Like, from here on out, I care about all these categories. Yeah, I keep feeling like I should have been crossing things off so that, like, I knew what we did. Um, I haven't. This I haven't one, this one, this so. one, this one. Yeah, but for me, it looks like we haven't done anything. Oh, we're, we're pretty far down, actually. Yeah, yeah. All right. We're blasting through this. Um, best original score. My nominees. Ooh, we're going to start out with Alexander Deplot from Little Women. Max Reichter, Ad Astra, Brer McCreary, Child's Play, uh, Dan Levy, I Lost My Body, and the one I'm happy to say, because I want to see your face when I say it, Disaster Piece for Under the Silver Lake. Um, <laughs> just just yeah. ignoring that is a good, it's a good one. <laughs> well, you hated that score. I'm actually surprised that movie is not all over your list. Mm. It was in Brett Easton Ellis' top ten of the year. I'm not surprised. That's a Brett Easton Ellis movie. Oh, yeah. It super is. That is a 23-year-old Mario movie. But a 33-year-old Mario is... I'm going to be honest with you, though. Andrew Garfield was up there for a long time. He was for me, too. He was like stuck at number five for was, oh, most of the a, year. He was, he was like in my top ten, but not... not like. But I, I, honestly, it was only oh, like until the last like three yeah, months that like like movies in, started yeah, coming no, out. Exactly. Um, my number five is the uh, score for Away... Uh, against Zibalotis. Uh Number four is Atlantics. Um, Fatima Al Qadiri. Um, An Elephant Sitting Still. Number three, Hua Lun. It was like a band in, in, in China. My number two is Alexander Duplat for Little Women. Do we have Do we have the same winner? No. Oh, okay. Because well. mine's not on your list. Oh wow! I'm surprised that missed your list. What High Life? Oh right, duh. right there. I'm, no, I'm surprised that um, we can't get can't guess my winner. Ad Astra, no, Dan Levy for I Lost My Body. Yeah, it was on there for a while, but then other stuff kind of just started creeping up because mm, we talked like extensively about that. That's that's that score is that score and the plots. Um, Little Women are the two ones that like really super complement the films. Yeah, and it's funny because I was not. Complimenting the films was important to me, but I was also really heavy into like themes this year. And the Tinderstick score has very few themes um, for High Life, um, but it's just kind of exists on a different world than everything else. Um, what the hell was that? The car had a lot of bass. Um, 
But yeah, it's um, it was a good. I think it was a pretty good year for score. There was a lot of good scores, but I wanted stuff that was doing like Man, good work. Rare McCreary got nominated. For you score didn't award. have to do that. Wait, I like that. I like his theme, his, his child's play theme, and like some of the rest of that score is fine. But it's like it was not a good year for scores for me. I thought it was pretty good. It wasn't last year. It didn't have Adam Turner's Gate or if Beale Street could talk, but it was a yeah. good year for scores. I guess so. Uh. Best production design, or whatever the hell they call it now. Art it? direction was the real term it used to be called. I still like art direction better. Yeah, production design seems so cold. Yeah, best art direction. We'll call it best art direction. My nominees. Burial of Kojo. Oh, White yeah. House. Parasite. High Life. 1917. Um, interesting. Interesting list. Um, Midsommar, number my, my five. List is interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Thanks. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Last Black Man in San Francisco. What was your number five? Sorry. Midsommar. Okay. Uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. The Lighthouse. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again. Um, are you doing The Lighthouse again here? Uh, my number one is is pretty pretty by far Parasite. Okay, um, mine's Parasite too. Yeah. Okay. It's just the entire design. Just knowing that they designed that house and then it fucking works. They, like you said, like in your moment shot of the two eyes, yep. that's made uh, really heavily by the oranges surrounding mm-hmm. him. Um, you know, the placement of everything in that film and just the way it looks and the sleekness of it versus kind of like the, the messiness of, you know, their actual basement apartment versus mm-hmm. like the sleekness of the, the house, the house that they built yeah. from the ground up for this film. Like Bong Joon Ho and all that, like designed, um, just works. Well, so I think well. even the even the the crank. I think about the crank a lot now, like and how you have to get you have to push that cabinet out of the way, and you know open the, you know crank the cabinet out of the way and open the door, and it's just kind of like everything's functioning. Like every piece of the house like seems like weirdly functional. So um, I don't know. Do we? You kind of expected to win the Oscar, right, for production design? I'm hoping. I would be surprised like once upon once upon a time in Hollywood's nominated there, right? I'm pretty sure. I think so, yeah. I would be surprised if it wins there. I can't remember why I said it was gonna win, but I like uh, we both have just open. just have sad <laughs> sad faces of thinking about what's actually gonna happen there. All right. Best cinematography? Yeah, if you want. Okay. Uh my nominees, Michael Fernandez, Burial of Kojo. Mm-hmm. Uh Jaron Blosky, Lighthouse. Um I then suddenly, for some reason, switched names and films for halfway through that. Uh, York LaSalle, High Life, uh, Hong Kyun Pio, Parasite, and Adam Newport Barra for Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, cool. I also, my number five is High Life, York LaSalle. Uh, my number four is Parasite. My number three is Little Women, which is also York LaSalle. So he had a good he had a good year. My number. Wow, I wouldn't have even thought he would have done cinematography both of those. Yeah. They're two like very different looking movies. They are, and it's weird. Um That's I, impressive. I think it's really weird because he's uh, the unreality but like hyper reality of um whatever is happening in high life and um of, of like the garden and like everything else and then the kind of ephemeral, like foggy nature of, of Little Women. Little Women. Um Yaron Blaschke for um the lighthouse also so we have we have three of the same ones here i'm gonna guess you say parasite uh my 
winner is Jaron Blasky for the Lighthouse. Okay. So that was my number two. My number one is an elephant sitting still again, uh, Fan Chow. Um, it's so naturalistic, but also um, really not. I went back and forth between this and the Lighthouse a lot. Um, but ultimately, I think the elephant sitting still cinematography led to somewhere, and I'm not 100% sure where we got with the Lighthouse. Yeah, I, I can't comment yet. It like bummed me out. Still. But um, Lighthouse is just so it's utterly crazy. Yeah. elevated by that aspect ratio and just like you said the the dirty cistern looking like blood um just everything about that i mean it's 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 a it's an it's an art piece but i'm again i'm not sure this is, if it does anything in the service of the film who knows I, I don't know yeah so that was that was tough for me so that's i ultimately put an elephant sitting still because i think it's um I think everything that doesn't even some of like the influences that it's kind of um, it's sharing through the whole movie um, are really of a of a of a whole and and are commenting on things in the movie. All right, what's next? Editing. Uh, best film editing. Um, I can go. I got uncut gems. My number five: Ronald Bronstein and Benny Safdie. Ford versus Ferrari. Michael. I'm Ma- surprised uncut gems got there. This is the one. Oh. This is the one because I think it does a good job. I actually don't think it's oh, it's. I think it's really well edited. Um, I just think some of the what it's editing is not is just missing the mark for me. Um, um, yeah, Ford vs. Ferrari, Michael McCusker, Andrew Buckland, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Fred Raskin, um, Parasite, Yang Jin Mo. Um, what's yours? Uh, so my nominees are Yang Jin Mo for uh, Parasite, uh, Fernando Stutz for Two Popes. Shin Ichiro Yude for One Cut of the Dead. Nick Kyoi for Little Women. And this is the one I was, I was excited to say. Greg Dioria for Dragged Across Concrete. I wonder, I wonder what that, that editing room is like. like. Do I cut it now? No. <laughs> you don't. What about now? Well, I, I don't think about, so. I mean, I'm not, it's not the winner, but I will talk about this. That, that, like I said, the one thing I found interesting in that movie... Was it was two and a half hours long, but for some reason, it felt like two and a half hours. But then when I finished it, I was like, "That's all fine." Like everything about that felt oh, fine. Yeah. And I was like, "That that's weird. It's a weird feeling I just had." I know I watched the movie that felt too long, but everything there was fine, and I'm glad it was there for me. Like for me, and that's like. Well, I think the weird. I, thing... I think I commented so heavily on the editing in that film. It has like, a lot of scenes. And they seem to last forever, but it, and it's long, but it's also not like that long. But know, it is long. Weird. It's like for really that, long. For that genre, it's like really long. Well, with it, especially with like as few plot points as it hits, um, you know, it's weird. Um, I am gonna guess. I'm gonna go wild here and say the two popes. Uh, Nick Huey, Little Women. Little Women. Huh. Huh. Mine is Robert Greene for her smell. I think he probably had the hardest job in the world of piecing together like a legitimate movie out of um, what Alex Ross Perry shot. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. I had Little Women on my long list, and I just I couldn't pull the trigger. I don't know why. Maybe the editing just didn't stick out for me. Um, but I, maybe I'm just like not looking at the right things or something. No, it's just it, it felt like really Craspin like, mm-hmm. and like it. It paced, like, like I said in the review last week, Little Women feels to me like I, I was really hating it for the first 40 minutes, 
in the first like hour or so mm-hmm. and like i was ready to give up on it and the right has this about where you like shut it off on it like it has that turn with amy and all everything yeah. else and it kind of just then everything flows into place mm. and i think that pacing is just you know a combination of multiple factors we will talk about and um and we have talked about mm-hmm. and, and the film editing. yeah yeah um, I guess now would be a good point to take a break because yeah. we're going into the actors and actresses and screenplays and directors. And this is the big pictures. stuff. Yeah. This is the big stuff. This is where the friendships come apart, Mario. It could be. Right here. Right here. All right. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Okay, the biggies, right? Yeah, the actors, the actresses, animated short, yeah, documentary short subject. We're gonna cover for about an hour and a mm-hmm. half. We're not gonna do any of the short subject. No, 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 we're not. Um, I think we start with best actress because, in my opinion, acting is less important than screenwriting. Some people disagree. We're not gonna argue the veracity of the statements. Meh, it doesn't matter. But we're all uh, getting to the, it's getting to the same place. Yeah. Best actress? Do you want to start with that? Yeah, um, I've got uh, Jesse Buckley, Wild Rose, my number five. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o from Us, uh, Aquafina, The fa- uh, Farewell, Elizabeth Moss, Her Smell. Okay, my nominees are Anseling uh, Francosi for Nightingale, mm-hmm. uh, Lupita Nyong'o for Us, Saras Ronan, Little Women, Scarlett Johansson, Marriage Story, and Florence Pugh, Midsummer. Midsummer. Huh. Okay. Very good. Uh, my number one was uh, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women. I'm. I don't know what to do with yours. Um, maybe Saoirse Ronan also. Or are we just doing all Florence Pugh this year? No, Lupita Nyong'o us. Okay, wins for me. She. We've talked about this she off, did too off. much. She was doing so much work there that it's impossible to... I'm actually really surprised she didn't, like, snag the Oscar nomination. Yeah, and, and my thing with that is just, like, we talked about this off-air um, uh, as we're eating our delicious buffalo nachos. Um, delicious. You know, it felt like a really undercooked script there, and Lupita Nyong'o, and, and Winston Duke, to a certain extent, kind of, like, really elevates that um, that screenplay from kind of the dredges and to to actually being, like, a really well put together film well yeah but you uh, should... and i'm not saying that script's going to be like terrible i just think that script's like that movie was made way too early like it yeah i think jordan peele need to like sit with it for a little longer i think he needed to finish writing it and then give it a year off and make something else you know go produce more twilight zones and then come back to it and be like this is conceptually problematic yeah. like let's let's rework the end of this movie but she made you think the whole movie that you were watching something really significant. Yeah. Like she elevated that material to something else. Um, I mean, um, I I could put every time Susie Ronan makes like a good movie, I could put her on a list. So this is not surprising. I actually, you know, um, no Renee Zellweger for you. She didn't make, she didn't make the cut. No, she almost, I liked, I liked her. I liked her, but just think these other women are better. 
They're my, they got, my, they're given they're given more I for think. the most part biopic shit. And I say this now when I, while looking at my best actor nominees, <laughs> um, don't really do much for me. Yeah. Mm. I said it because I have two best actors who are doing biopic two shit. Um, Speaking of best actor, you want to go? You want to go? I'll start with my okay. nominees. Um, <laughs> you put him in supporting. I'm putting him in lead. Song Kang Ho for Parasite. Mm-hmm. Andre Holland, High Flying Bird. Mm-hmm. Franz Rogowiski, Transit. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Price, Two Popes. Mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy, Dolomite is my Oh, name. man, you did it. You did it. Um, I went, uh, my number five is Franz Rogowski for Transit. Number four, Jonathan Price, the Two Popes. Number three, Antonio Banderas, Pain and Glory. Uh, Just missed mine. He was my six. Yeah, he was, he was fantastic. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, and then, I think yours. I, I guess your number one is Robert Pattinson for High Life. You are right. You are 100% <laughs> right. How did you, how did you guess that one? Um, Actually, sorry. Robert Pattinson for High Life was my six. Banderas was my seven. And I put in parentheses the lighthouse because I also think he was excellent. Yeah, he, I was, it was going to be kind of like a he's double just doing a double duty. Um, I'm going to go with the Andre Holland thing here. You've been kind of riding this wave since last January, right? Uh, he is my number three this year. Huh. My winner, um, Franz Wojtunicki for Transit. Yeah. Uh, like we said, like you said, just it would take a hell of a performance to carry the emotion of of Don verbal acting, and he does it. Mm-hmm. Just everything that movie's in in some ways carried really heavily on his back. I mean, we're going to be talking about transit pretty often in the the last parts of this <laughs> categories. Um, but yes, we are. Yeah. Um, no, just just everything. And this was a this was a good all five of these performances. I'm really happy to be on here. Like I thought for sure Adam Driver was going to show up. I'm not buying for the longest time for Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, for the report. I actually like him in Rise of Skywalker. Like he's the only thing. I think he's good. Yeah. Um, but for Marriage Story and just you know these five other performances, and I sat there, I rewatched Dolomite's My Name, and Eddie Murphy's fucking a charisma. He's explosion. very good. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, it was hard to tell what was acting and what was just. It's like the Jennifer Lopez thing. It's like the Brad Pitt thing. I don't know what is like acting and what is just him being but, like a charismatic person on camera. And I, I think I think the difference for me with like compared to Brad Pitt and Jennifer Lopez is that almost those things kind of felt like they distracted from the film, whereas Eddie Murphy doing it in Dolomite felt like it was fucking It was the like film. It yeah. was the film. Yeah. And then we talked about this like Craig Brewer who is just he's my sixth seventh, sorry, my seventh because I have six nominees for director, who's my seventh for director. Huh. Um, for Dolomite is my name, just because I've always thought like he knows how to fucking cast, he knows how to like put people in his movies. Yeah, Dolomite my name is a good movie. Again, it's like falls into the bunch at the bottom of my yeah. list where it's just like there's a bunch of stuff that like I I really like. It's just it's Dol- hard to like sift through yeah, it. All. Dolomite is 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 that movie that like you know we're, do we have the uh, National Board of Review ten things on everything? It pops up everywhere, right? But um, well, except for picture, um, but. Mm. <laughs> Spoilers on that, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I like Dolomite's a great film. Mm-hmm. All right, the second best Netflix movie to have come out last year for me. Hmm. Honestly, that's a tough one because Netflix released a lot of really interesting things. They released a lot of crap, and that means... oh, maybe third best. That's, they released a lot of high profile crap. Second. 
Um, they, yeah, they're smaller stuff. Actually, of the of the bigger stuff that they released, I actually liked that more than I like Marriage Story. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I just think it's it's. I enjoyed it more. I think it's. I understand why Marriage Story is better. I think we both agree quote, with but the like big, of their big ones, the best one. But. I think so. Yeah, and then um, then you have all like the little stuff that came out, like Irishman. The, and, yeah, it's stupid. Six underground. Oh my god, is that on your? Oh, that's that's number two on the best picture. <laughs> all right, uh, adapted, uh, adapted screenplay. Okay, okay. I'm gonna say this first name. Just because I want to see you cringe. Takawatiti, Jojo Rabbit. Mm-hmm. You held it in. It was on my list for a long time. Was it really? I thought you hated his screenplay on it. I liked all the stuff except for the Hitler shit. I thought, like, the, yeah, no, I thought the conversations that, yeah. between him and, and um, you know, uh, between Jojo and um, his mother are, are really powerful. I thought this conversation between um, him and Thomas McKenzie. Thomas and Thomas McKenzie were really good. Um, I thought the script, except for the Hitler stuff, was fine. Mm. It's just what he did with the script. Um, it doesn't make my list here, though. Greta Gerwig, Little Women. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy Clappen and Golame Laurent for I Lost My Body. Mm-hmm. Christian Petzold, Transit. And mm-hmm. Anthony McCartan, The Two Popes. So we have four of the same movies here. Um, my difference is I do not have... Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. I have um, Micah Fitzerman, and, Fitzerman Blue and Noah Harpster for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Was that your number five? That's so, my number five. Yeah, because um, my number five on that list is is Taco Atiti for Jojo yeah. Rabbit. So. so that's really interesting. <laughs> um, my what's your number? I'm gonna guess your I number guess one I is Transit. It. I can rank. This. Oh, rank, rank, oh, yeah. rank. Okay. My number four would be uh, Jeremy Clapon and Golame Laurent. That's my number my four body. too. Uh, my number three would be Anthony McCartan for the Two Popes. That's my number two. Your number three is Christian Petzl. Yep. Uh, my number two is Christian Petzl for Transit, and. Like by a, a Sonic Mile, what's what's a, a Country Mile? Country Mile is that the long one? I don't know. Uh, Greta Gerwig, Little Women. Yeah, yeah. Um, she took a hundred and fifty year old book and made it much better. Uh, yeah, and it's weird because she did a bunch of stuff that I hate, and I'm I'm sick of reading about her like process in terms of like making this because I just don't like. When people are making art, I don't love to hear like the nuts and bolts of where they're pulling from. But she, you took... don't like to hear Todd Phillips talk about Idol Made Joker. I definitely don't want to hear Todd Phillips say fucking anything. You know what is problematic? We don't need to talk about this now. And I feel like I, I said this to you and JP at the bar. Twenty nineteen has basically become us shitting on Joker. I feel great. like I said this to you guys at the bar. I'm not sure I said it on the air. Maybe I said it on the air. But if I didn't, I want to say it again. I would rather watch Green Book than Joker. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like. Green Book, for all of its problems, is a better movie than Joker is. So if Joker wins this year, I'll be like, they at least they got Green Book right. Our first Oscar, our combined Oscar with JP, is going to be winning an Oscar for our anti-Joker film. Yeah. Which is called what? Just poker. A- poker. <laughs> Just a guy that walks around poking people? Well, no, no. I mean, it's a movie about how much we hate Joker. It's just a stupid movie. Oh, my Speaking God. Speaking of which, Joaquin Phoenix didn't show up on the universe list. No, he did not. I didn't even... It's funny. I didn't funny even notice that. Yeah. All right. Original screenplay. Um, okay. Did my, you, do you, uh, 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 did you want, want, want to rank them as well? I, I can rank them. Okay, rank them. Okay. My number five is Joe Talbot and Rob Rickert for The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Uh, that's number five? 
My number five is Terrell Alvin McCraney for High Flying Bird. My number four, Terrell Alvin McCraney, High Flying Bird. My number four is Bong Joon-ho and Han Jin-won, Parasite. Uh, my number three, Ryan Johnson, Knives Out. My number three, The Farewell, Hulu Wong. My number two, Jennifer Kent, Nightingale. Oh, the Nightingale is creeping up there. I didn't anticipate this. My number two, Pain and Glory, Pedro Almodovar. Uh, my winner, Shia LaBeouf, Honey Boy. Me too, man. I'm glad. Fucking Honey Boy, man. I'm glad we're like agreeing on Honey Boy. Well, our <laughs> screenplays, it's just like, well, yeah, these are the best. Honey Boy is a fucking open wound yeah. on film. It's like, I, there's he's nothing. He said he's writing his follow up, by the way, and I'm like, oh, no, don't do that. Yeah, why would he do that? No, What's the follow up? I don't know. Don't do that, though. I don't have to watch it. That's all. Fuck to make it Fox. Yeah. I'm going to assume that happened. Probably didn't, but. Yeah, I don't know if that didn't happen. That's, that, that movie's, that's a bold, that movie's, that's a hot take. Honey Boy fucking rules. And it's because Shia LaBeouf decided to take... You know, the best, you know what the best moment of the Honey Boy script was? And it's like a thing that they've kind of showed on previews, but you don't understand the gravity of it until you've watched the whole movie. When after he's you know, gotten drunk again gotten high again and he goes back to the, the apartment and FKA twigs is and he probably throws her out and then he sits in the bathroom and he's throwing up and then he sits on the toilet and he's having that conversation he says do you understand how hard it is like to be paid by your son and that shit is fucking crazy yeah. because he is writing that wow, he is empathizing with his father who fucked him up yeah. and he's acting that that's crazy. That is crazy. He didn't have to do that. Most people writing about their lives aren't going to do that. Wouldn't be that vulnerable. Pedro Almodovar and Lulu Wong do something similar, and that's why they're like two and three, in that they really attack their histories. They attack their past, but they don't. They do it with metaphors. And they do it sof- like sophisticatedly. He just takes a fucking hatchet to his life, and it's just like I made this. Yeah. Look at it. Look at this. What do you think of that? Do you? Also, is it not surprising that we both agreed on both of our screenplays? No, because we're just that's just we're just right. That's not surprising at all. Just correct. We didn't even like work that out. It just happened. Yeah, we have we have a lot of our things are similar. So, mm. best director. I can rank these. I have six though. Okay, so, <laughs> so do um. What's your six? Mine, I can do my six too. Okay, you want to do your number six? Go ahead. My number six is going to be Fernando Marielis for The Two Popes. If I had to do it. He's up there for me. My number six, Claire Denis. Highlight. Okay. My number five is Lulu Wong for The Farewell. Uh, my number five is Shin Ichiro Ide for One Cut of the Dead. You do like that movie. My number four is Hubo for An Elephant Sitting Still. God damn it, I need to see this movie now. Uh, my number four is um, Christian Petzold, Transit. My number three, Mario, is your number six, Claire Denis for High Life. Wow. I thought that was going to win. My number three, Bong Joon-ho, Parasite. My number two, Greta Gerwig for Little Women. My number two, Jennifer Kent, Nightingale. Oh, man, Nightingale. I did not see this coming. My number one is Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. My number one, Greta Gerwig, Greta Gerwig yeah. Little Women. Um, again, I don't... I don't think Bong. I don't think Parasite exists without Bong Joon Ho, so it's tough. Yeah. I I have trouble picking against him. I think from what a, a what, 
a classical director sense of someone who's in full control of his movie and it's a full like vision it's i don't think it gets any better than bong joon ho i will say one two three i wouldn't unrank them but they're almost like number ones it's like three number ones for three different movies you know what i mean like three different directing styles three different types of things and my Um, yeah and my thing with like so my one and two with kent and gerwig is just like that's an emotional like unraveling in two totally different ways mm. like on screen and I'm always going to respond to that from a direction standpoint uh-huh. um, and Bong Joon-ho is just like like it's it's so clinical but perfect like if we if somebody ripped out my frontal lobe and just left like the hippocampus the parietal lobe and, and you know the occipital lobe is like Mario you're just now a machine you are Phineas Gage I feel like this is going to happen tell me my best director I feel like I this say, is what you've I been doing for like two Jung-ho. weeks you know I would say that I'm, try- I'm trying to. I'm trying to. <laughs> Getting there. Uh, I would have said Bong Joon-ho. But, you know, like like I said, there's something about... It's it's a thematic experience. It's a metaphorical experience. It is a um, thematic experience. But it, it is not an emotional experience for me. No, and it, yeah. It, and so it's a perfect movie. Like, I will stand by the fact that Parasite might be, like, a perfect movie. Um, like, literally. Like... It's hard to find the flaws in that film, mm-hmm. but I, I, and I like it a lot for that. Like, I respect it has a technical fucking masterpiece, but it doesn't mean much to me. It's so funny that you... I would 100% agree with you, but it's funny because I will look... I want that... If I'm looking at directors... It's not raw, I guess. If I'm looking at directors, though, I feel like I want... I'd rather have that. I'm okay with the rawness of the the overall film, you know what I mean? But I'm not 100% sure. Like a screenplay. Can be wrong and all that. Right. And, I, you know, you have a lot of that stuff in, I think, High Flying Bird is kind of a perfect example where I think the screenplay is is well written, in, but it's almost overwritten to an extent. Mm. You know what I mean? Where, like, there's a couple of th- a couple of lines, a couple of scenes that, like, could have gone a little differently and made it, like, a more interesting movie. Um, but I think for, I don't, I just think the direction is undeniable. You know what I mean? Like, it's so calculated. It's so controlled. Um, where those other movies aren't, but this still... I mean, I think the the interesting counter to this is Fernando Mirielis and The Two Popes, where when the movie started, I was just kind of like, oh, The Two Popes. And then like the second the movie started, I was like, Hold, wait a second. Like, how is the guy that made City of God going to make a movie about two popes having a conversation? And, and then it starts, and then yeah. you're just like, oh, well, he's going to make it like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like one of those things, and there's all this movement, in, but that's a very raw directorial performance, you know what I mean? Where he's putting cameras in places and just trying to get some stuff, and he's going to fit it together, and it's going to work like this. Um, but there was no question on how Parasite worked. You know what I mean? It was just, this is how it works. I don't know. It's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, okay. We're here, Mario. The biggie. This is it. Um, all right. Uh, where's the where's the quarter? Let's do it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna re- restart it with the decades. We'll do the we'll do the quarter flip for each one. Okay. Tails. 
Tails. <gasps> okay. Um, I'll go, are we going to snake it? No, no, we're going to flip for every, everyone. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Um, Do you want me to go first or what do you go No, first? I'll go first. Yeah. Uh, my number 10 is Alex Ross Perry's Hearst Mill. What? I thought that was going to be higher. Um, I thought so too, um, but it is not. And it's not because I think it's a bad movie. It's just, uh, obviously, it's like my number 10 favorite of the year. It's more, it exists on a more like um, like a visceral level. It's it's a, an, it's an experience thing. Um, it's clearly not doing anything better than I think a lot of like the other movies that are that are on my list. Um, but it is it's that kind of you know from an open wound perspective, Honey Boy does it better. From like um, you know an empowerment or an excitement perspective, I think Little Women does it better. From just like a, 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 a crumbling emotional. Thing. I think uh, An Elephant Sitting Still um, and Honey Boy um, in High Life do that better. And I'm, I hope I'm not giving too much away. Um, but it is a fucking trip. It is It is well worth the hour and a half you spend with watching Elizabeth Moss just like break apart into as many pieces as she can physically break herself into. Um, yeah, it's got great music, uh, a great supporting cast. Um I really like Alex Ross Perry a lot. Um, I he's going to be one of those people now that like everything that comes out. After I did the deep dive and watched everything he did, um, in uh, anticipation of her smell, um, he's he's like one of my guys now. Um, so yeah, all right. My number ten is ready or not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just to set off this tone. Um, you know, horror movie guy, board game guy also, but it's, 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 it's less that and more just Samara Weaving has been like really consistently been a, a performer who's like the rock mm-hmm. in a sense, like, like Dwayne Johnson in that she has like a shit ton of charisma and you just like watching her mm-hmm. on screen for 90 or so minutes. I mean, did you ever see the Babysitter? We were talking about if you mm. saw the Babysitter. So like like this, I think I've asked you multiple times if you've seen Babysitter, like see a Mick G movie. Um, oh, Mick G. But she carries it, and, and this is is a better movie than that. And it's just it's so fun to watch her mm-hmm. throughout of it. Um, she kind of like like she was kind of like dazing around my best actress, and I just couldn't at all justify it given the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know. This movie misses a lot on a few categories of mine. Um, it made like costume design, but like it's it's for a horror film. That's like a very typical horror movie. It pays a lot of attention to its production design and its costume design. It's some like the weirder things you don't usually see in horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and of like the like fuck rich people movies of the year. Like this was this was my favorite. Of the there were a bunch movies. of those this year. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Flipping it again. Okay. All right. Flipping it again. Yep. Uh, do you want to flip it? Actually? I'll flip it. Yeah, yeah. And you call it. Uh, I will call Tails. It is Tails. All right. I said this was going to be surprising, and I'm going to do it. The Souvenir. Joanna Hogg's Souvenir is number nine and after how much I talked about this movie. You know why I'm not surprised, though, is because you did give me some warnings that it was kind of like making a kind of, you know, descent. I, mean, I still love this movie. Um, as I watch it more, I I love it for 
I mean, it's it's a little too raw at parts, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like Jonah Hogg's, like it feels too raw, and at the same point, it feels like there's too much control in what Hogg's willing to say. Um, Tom Burke and Tilda Swinton, and um, Honor Swinton Honor Swinton like kind of make this movie for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still a great film. It still has some of those moments that I just absolutely adore. Yeah, uh, like where Tom Burke kind of comes back from like almost ODing. And she's just like sitting out there, like ugly, crying, and mm. he's just got that. I mean, I wish if we still had the Instagram, I we would. Tom would take a photo of me doing the Tom Burke <laughs> face. I try to do right now of like smooshing everything to the side of his mouth. Um, I mean, I still really like this movie. It's just the emotional connection to it that I had initially kind of fell away. Like I always had kind of an artistic connection, but I kind of like. Mm-hmm created a facade of an emotional connection and just wasn't there yeah um yeah i i i don't really have a lot to say about it in terms of i think artistically it's it's a fascinating film i just think it's um it's dodging some emotional truths yeah no i think think it's it's suggesting but i feel like to do the things that it wants to do it gets raw with things that we don't care about and like it it kind of hedges towards ambiguity with things that like we really should be caring about like without what the movie is actually about yeah and like like i think like it kind of like focuses heavily in like the emotional troubles or despair of like her making a movie and like her filmmaking aspects that's like or like when she's like trying to do the student films it's yeah. like nobody cares about any of that well it's funny though because i think we care about the scene in the car where like the her, her co-student um yeah classmate Let's try to dig into why she's like taking this There's on her that. shoulders. And I think the, the interview scene when she's, you know, talking about, you know, class and stuff like that. I think that stuff is very, is, is very important. It's funny because I think like some of the drug stuff, they go a little, they go a little long with like the drug stuff and they, and they, and they kind of dodge what the drug stuff might mean to her. You know mm. what I mean? Because it does mean something to her. But they kind of just focus on on him and like he's. Can I try to say this by the way? Yeah, I do. What is this? Counterweight? It's critical. It's critical mass IPA from Counterweight. It's an okay double. But I'm it's, drinking it. It's because not bad. We're reaching critical mass of 2019 we are, films. We are. We're doing it. Um, we've watched too many of them. I'm so ready for <laughs> to be take a break from watching movies. Man, Although, I, I saw the movie this weekend that we're going to review. I also next saw weekend. a movie that we were going to review next weekend. Well, you saw a movie that's apparently really bad, but I saw a movie that was just like, I saw it and it was just, it was a movie I wanted to see. Yeah. No, bad I'm bo- looking forward to kind bad of Bad Boys for go. Life, guys. Yeah. We're reviewing it next week and like I had so much fun with it and I was like, oh, it's so nice to have like fun with a movie and not like feel like I have to like think about it. I know. I know. I'm just like Martin Lawrence. I can just take in Martin Lawrence. <laughs> he, he doesn't make your list. Oh, Bad Boys for Life. I'm oh, shit. It can't, it. it can't be on here. <laughs> All right. I'll do my nine. Uh, my nine is uh, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, again, this is funny. I actually didn't... When I was watching it, I felt a lot like you probably felt watching Bad Boys for Life, where I wasn't really thinking about anything. It came out so early in the year no, that I really didn't... Late have, July, right? Or early... I think it's or, late July. Ju- I wasn't. I thought it was no. like June-ish. I thought it was the end of June. But I mean, I could be wrong doesn't matter we can talk um i just had a good time and i don't think brad pitt is doing great work necessarily but i like july 26 july 26 okay i liked watching him do stuff i thought leonardo DiCaprio was fucking great i think you know 
uh, what is her name? Jessica Butters. That conversation that he has with her um, is is great. I think the ending is great. I think there's lots of funny stuff happening here. I think the Margot Robbie stuff is really, really interesting. Um, technically, I think it's 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 odd. I don't think the cinema. I don't think the cinematography is very good. I think the editing is. Um, is amazing in places where they really build tension up to a level that it like does like the situation doesn't deserve to have tension like when when Cliff goes to the spawn ranch you know what I mean and he's gonna go in the door and it just takes forever for him to decide to go into the door and there's all this cutting and there's all this tension building up but you're just kind of like why and the payoff is great there's only Dakota Fanning there <laughs> and yeah and Lena Dunham like <laughs> They're not necessary. Um, and the payoff is really good. It's just, a, it, if you don't think about it too much, if you don't think about it too much, it's just a good time. And I think Quentin Tarantino, I think, gets in these situations where he thinks he's making, like, the greatest movie ever. And what he really did was made a fun, like, intense night at the movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, <coughs> but, and so this kind of took the place of, after this is what I was talking about earlier before when I was like when I took stock of my thing and I was like well I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood all over this list you know what I mean from acting to technical stuff and like stupid things it's like well you know it's gotta be it's gotta be on my list you know what I mean I just I think it works it's not the best movie I've ever seen but it's a good fucking time I laughed heartily through most of it yeah I guess I didn't see it that I, I went into it in my critical haze sort of thing mm-hmm <laughs> and then it just failed to do anything for me yeah. in, in seeing that. So maybe that's maybe that's on me. I, I I don't think so. I don't think it matters. If it was a different movie, I would say yes, but I don't think this matters. I think you're okay. Okay. All right. Friday call. Number it. eight. Number eight. Heads. Heads it is. Okay. Um, you go. All right. Switch it up. One of two Netflix movies that'll show up on my list. The Irishman. No, I'm kidding. Um <laughs> It didn't get nominated for anything but special effects, but here it is. It won special effects. Number eight. Um, no, my number eight is The Two Popes. Uh, it's my number eight also. So let's have a Two Popes conversation, Mario. Um, I watched this again on Friday with a really heavily Catholic friend of mine. Mm. And like he kept pausing it every 15 minutes to talk about it. Um, and I realized... like. I, I, I take it from a real intellectual perspective because I don't fucking give a shit about Catholicism. I'm mm-hmm. not a Catholic. Me neither. Pope Francis means garbage to me, and so does Benedict. And I just hope their billion followers would just vote for a Democrat. <laughs> Even yeah. if they're not in America. Yeah. Somehow, I mean, if, if a billion people voted for Joe Biden, and you know what? Even if that like the election result was that, I'd be like, that's fair. Yeah. I take that election result. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Uh, 300 million people voted in Alabama. That's fine. Doug Jones got reelected. Cool. Um, so I didn't have like a visual experience with it. Uh, I just had like a real intellectual experience of just experiencing like a really solid screenplay. Fernando Marielis, who really doesn't know how to direct poorly. Uh, Jonathan Price is just amazing. Oh, he's so performance. good. He's so fucking good. Anthony Hopkins, <clears throat> watching him. I've watched this movie three times now. He gets less good with each time. Um, his vocal acting. Is is solid, but mm-hmm. like kind of, he seems, he does seem lost, like facially. Well, the King Lear thing is real. Yeah, where it's at some point during that Amazon movie, you're just like he clearly just knows these lines by heart and is saying them, but he doesn't know what's going on. He's tuned out. Yeah. Um. But watching somebody who had that kind of experience with it, 
uh, and, and like really connect with it was 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 interesting. And, yeah. And he, in that way, you could also see how Fernando Marielles feels like. I can only assume Fernando Marielles is Catholic. He feels it feels Catholic. I mean, I'm not going to assume that, but I don't it know feels like I'm, a very yeah. earnest kind of Catholic. Well, I just it feels earnest, and I don't think of him as like the ideal director to make this movie. And I wouldn't think that he would think that of himself either. So I have to assume he did it because the material spoke to him. Yeah. And the material probably spoke to him well, because under he's... Under personal life on uh, Wikipedia, uh, there's five words that says, personal life, Fernando Marielis is a Catholic. <laughs> that's it? That's his whole personal life. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. That's all his personal life. I mean, he's doing that. He's making movies. Being Catholic, making movies is all you need to be. Um, it's funny because I we had uh, like a similar experience. I had my experience with it was like a love experience. I just I just love this movie. Uh, it's mostly Jonathan Price's fault, um, and then Fernando Muriel's, and then like whatever else you want to put on top oh, of it. That fucking, especially talk about Price. Like he almost won from me just for the what? Like when he's, when he's oh, watching yeah, that the whole fucking the World Cup World Cup game. And yeah, he just goes what? And like he like the guy goes like. You know, basically, fuck Benedict, and the guy's mm-hmm. like, "No, yeah, like let him take care of himself." Well, because he just goes right from yeah, like to hugging that stranger guy, and then to, like, like just lost. Yeah, yeah, he just doesn't know what to do with himself. It's it's fascinating, but the same thing. Like my mother-in-law was in Argentina at the time when like that stuff was happening. That like you know, Benedict or that Francis. And she's she's Catholic. You know, it is what it is. Um, it's it's by her name. It's she's not her like family is. She's has convicted to Catholicism. Has Hillary Clinton is convicted to supporting the nominee, whoever it may be, for the Democratic. I actually we think we've gotten campaign. to this place with the Democrats where like we every month we forget who she is, and then she just says something. We're like, oh yeah, right. Why didn't you just <laughs> go to Wisconsin one time? Just go there. Like, <laughs> just, just say hello. Like Bernie Sanders did. <sighs> it doesn't matter. He went to Wisconsin. Um, but she was, she was living. You. She was a teenager in Argentina at the time when, like, all that stuff was happening, and she was kind of telling us about it. And it was kind of a point Wait, of con- oh, during the um, 1970s. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Military so it was kind of a point of connection for my my wife and her mother to kind of like rehash like all this like family history that like she didn't necessarily know. She didn't necessarily want to talk about it. Um, but I think this movie makes it, it's not apologizing for Catholics. Mm. It's not. It's about a man and his faith and how he gets, how he gets it or loses it. You know what I mean? Well, or how, he, just about how like, he lives with his faith. It's not, not about, talk to God, yeah. Yeah, it's not about the other stuff. And I guess everything now has to be about fucking everything. I just listened to a conversation on Colin McEnroe about... 1917, and they were criticizing it because there weren't enough minorities in it. And I was like, ah, there's like 15 people that you see their face full on in this movie. You know, like, the, and then he runs into a, a, a company of guys from Devonshire. Like, I don't know what you want. I don't know what we want anymore out of these movies. You know what yeah. I mean? You can't make a movie and then cover all of your fucking woke ass bases and, like, still have a good movie. You just can't do it. You can't have a movie about World War One like with a British company of soldiers where half of them are black, and then ha- half of the other people left are Indian. That doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I wish it did work, but it doesn't work. But that's 
this movie, movie doesn't care about yeah. that. Yeah. This movie is just about faith, and that's why it's great. And it understands that, and its actors understand that, and it's fantastic. It's two popes. Two popes. All right, we're flipping it. Call it, Mario. Tails. Heads. Okay. Uh, you go. I'm happy, because I was going to pick myself first. Because <laughs> my number seven is Parasite. Whoa! Wow, far down it is? Yeah! Um, yeah, perfect film. No emotional connection. Um, I have either some visceral or emotional connection to every film higher on this list for me. And so, you know, when I put my best picture, I'm putting a mix of favorite and best. Mm. And Parasite, has perfect as it is, just did not speak to me in all those ways. Perfect film. Like, I would say of all the films on my top ten, if somebody says pick one, I'm going to say Parasite, but... um, Mm. Interesting. That's really interesting, Mario. All right. Um, I'm not going to say anything because we're going to talk about it later, obviously. Um, my number seven is Honey Boy, uh, directed by Alma Harrell. This is we talked about, This is Shia LaBeouf's movie that he wrote. He stars as uh, a version of his father. Uh, Noah Jupe stars at, as a younger version of himself. Lucas Hedges stars as an older version of himself. Um, uh, we ju- we just talked a lot about it. I mean, I'm not 100 sure what else I need to say about it. Um, I do it think doesn't make my list actually. I, oh, really? Okay, it, it misses out. But I, mean, I'm, I don't know why I'm being like, okay, that's fine. That's all right, Mario. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think this movie, on top of the writing and the acting, does a lot of things right. I think, I think the the cinematography is 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 interesting. I think Alma Harrell does a really interesting job directing what. It's kind of like a black box type like um, set. You know what I mean? There's a mm-hmm. lot of hotel room stuff. There's a lot of just like contained in an area things. There's a, So there's there's a lot of non-scripted um, moments that like have to come off and then have to project some stuff. Um, but I think it's it just was a really powerful film. It was just – it was gross and I felt so bad for that kid. Um like Shia LaBeouf, like the person, um, because he's not he's not shying away from the fact that he's talking about himself. You know what I mean? Um, it's just it's a it, it's a very fascinating. <laughs> I'm allowed to make one bad pun a night, aren't I? I Isn't that my thing? Don't I make I one so. bad pun every podcast? I guess I actually don't so. think I do. I'm going to start that now. Oh, Watch boy. the babysitter and make one bad pun. All right, number six. Uh, Tails. That's a bat. Oh, there we flip that. Still got tails, but... Okay. Jesus. It is heads. All right. Uh, I will go first. Okay. My number six is... <clears throat> Sorry, Jesus. Uh, Joe Talbot's Last Black Man in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked... You talked earlier about like, kind of like the rawness with Honey Boy. This feels really raw with the... the um, you know, just just this tale overall. Uh, you know, Jimmy Fails kind of story, like Joe Talbot and Jimmy Fails were like best friends growing up. Um, and and this film feels it's 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 dirt, not dirt, dirt, dirty is not the right word. It, it is um a I don't want to say raw either, but it's just such a messy. It's a messy kind of production. Um, in every way, but you know, you get that fucking just brilliant Jonathan Majors performance. 
Um, and Jimmy Fails is is doing a lot of heavy lifting here. I like him. I can't yeah. wait to see like whatever the next thing he does is. Yeah. Yeah, Jonathan. I'm excited to see Jonathan Majors in that Spike Lee movie. Coming that that, that looks like a match made in heaven. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so there's there's a lot, a lot of rawness. There's a lot of messiness to it, but it feels so utterly earnest. Of of the movies of this year, it was the most earnest feeling movie. And then mm-hmm. every time I kept coming back to it, at first I didn't respond to it. Every time I came back to it, it felt as overproduced as it feels at a lot of points. Yep. It feels so earnest. Like it felt like the only thing that Joe Talbot and Jimmy Fails could do to convey the emotion. Because mm. they didn't know what to do. You know, it's not so much like sorry to bother you, which feels like really perfectly kind of orchestrated mm-hmm. um, in a way to kind of tell this narrative. And I, I use sorry to bother you more for the sense of like the San Francisco Oakland narrative, kind of like this like mm-hmm. the burgeoning kind of like class structure. Um, just in case anybody's like, oh, he's talking about two movies made by from the race aspect. No, it's not it at all. It's just like the the using the Bay Area, using that class dispute there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Star of the Bobby has that structure, whereas Last Black Man in San Francisco feels so just raw. And also, it's produced by Brad Pitt. Get out of here, Brad Pitt. He does not get the award. If, if we had awards, I would not <laughs> If we were giving him. him to producers. Yeah, everyone, all the other five producers get awards. Um, but no, it just, it felt earnest. And like, it has so many great like moments doing it. Like Mike Epps in his car. Oh, you know? Mike Epps was on my list for a long, long time. <laughs> for supporting? It's funny, I didn't have Jonathan Majors. I had Mike Epps because I thought Mike Epps was fucking great. See, I just, Jonathan, Jonathan Majors just fucking ruins that one see it's like weird. ruins like in terms of like a good yeah, thing that's weird because i like i did not respond to the play scene oh see i did like it just kind of it seemed to lose the thread of like whatever was eaten at him and got a little hysterical for me it it did but it felt like oh but that's the thing like a lot of this like loses me for a second like the first upon first viewing upon multiple viewings i'm like oh i see what they're doing and it feels like that's the only thing they could do mm-hmm has like kind of like imperfect filmmakers to like get there. Yeah, I mean, I suppose. Yeah, no, no. I I think I, it's definitely a very worthy film, um, and it's one of those things that makes you happy that the internet or that movies exist now as they do, in the sense that I think it's on Prime and like yeah, just go watch it. And like articles have said enough of like the best movie of the year you didn't see. Yeah, is that movie everyone saw in the middle of the year because yeah. there wasn't any good movies early on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, my number six is uh, the farewell, directed by Lulu Wang. Um, we got to it really late, mm. like much later than we probably should have. So I didn't see it in theaters. Um, but it, I was underwhelmed for like the first twenty minutes or so. I was like, it's just gonna do. Like, is it just going to do this? Is it going to be at this tone? Is, is like, is Aquafina going to be self like, vaguely, weirdly self-referential? Um, is it going to be one of those, like, you're not living the life that we want you to live movies? And I was like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to do this. Like, I'm sure it's fine. Maybe a little bit like how you felt about Little Women. You know what I mean? Like, where you just, the movie's setting up to be one thing, and then she goes to China, and the whole thing, like, turns upside down, where... It is not, it's not emotionally or honest, it's not emotionally, as emotionally stinging as Honey Boy is. It's not as emotionally raw. But there is a clear sense from Aquafina's performance in Lulu Wong's script that um, Aquafina's character is 
is working stuff out and that the stakes are not simply like does her grandmother die it is who am i as a person because i've established like a set of expect or i've established a narrative for myself based on like a bunch of different information and i've found out that like i don't understand that's the thing so like the thing of the lie is not so much like what's not what's right or wrong. It's I don't understand that anymore, which means I'm separate from this culture. I am Chinese, you know. Mm. What I mean, I am this culture, but I'm I can't be if I don't understand this very basic premise um, of of this culture. And um, you have that great. She has a great speech um, when she's like sitting on the floor when they're getting the the bride ready for the wedding. Um, the wedding reception is an amazing. Um, I mean, so Lulu Wong is my number five director, um, specifically for like her framing choices where, and the color choices where everything seems vaguely Wes Anderson-y, but pulled back a little bit and the framing is a little askew so that it shows the emotions as a little askew, you know what I mean? And then the uncle starts crying, which he's 100% not supposed to do, um, at the wedding, um, and it's just, it's, it's very moving. And I hate the word moving because it seems like so cheap. Like everything's moving. Like people think Hallmark movies are moving. Um, but this is moving in like a really. Uncle Becky would. Or <sighs> Aunt Becky would. Aunt Becky would, yeah. Um, she's, different things are going to be moving for her now. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a really deeply, it's like a deeply moving movie. It's, um. Yeah, I know people have been talking about it forever, so there's nothing more I can say about it. But all right, I'm gonna flip. Yeah, this is number five. Tails. It is tails. I'll go. Um, this is my fun movie. Uh, every other movie I kind of had like an emotional response to in some way. This one I didn't, but I had a shit ton of fun with it. Can you, can you guess which one? Is it Ready is? or Not Again? The <laughs> sequel. Knives Out. Uh, this is one cut of the dead. Okay. Um. Just, as, as I said, the first 30 minutes of it set it up as being a film that you wonder why it was so critically hailed. And maybe, like, maybe that kind of, like, changed the experience for us, for me. And I think maybe for both of us. Mm-hmm. And that we both went into this movie knowing it was, like, yeah. it got, like, 10, 8 to 10, like, Japanese Academy would it be Academy Award nominations? Where you were like, made, I downloaded Shutter to watch this. Yeah, it made over a hundred million dollars worldwide, and like I think that's a part of the experience of it. Um, you know, watching those first three minutes, going like, nope, okay, it's kind of technically impressive what's going on here, but but it also fucking stinks. Uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, it cuts, and then it turns into the comedy of errors about trying to make a one-cut zombie movie, uh-huh. and it's fucking awesome. And it's so perfect. After that, it's so, like, the reason why, you know, Shin Ichiro Ude and, um, shows up on my list both for his direction and for his editing is just like that. It's so, it's so perfectly timed out. Like, you, like, when it gets to the point <clears throat> where, you know, they're starting to make the movie and, like, that last act is them making the film while you see like all the weird terrible shit that's happened during one cut of the dead that looked awful uh-huh. and you realize why it looked awful uh-huh. um works well and the reasons why everything was awful are 
are uh, hilarious. They're, yeah. they're hilarious and they're worthy. Yeah. They're not cheap, even though like they are cheap, but they don't feel cheap. No, like you know, why are the zo- why is that zombie just putting his head on his shoulder? Oh, why is the one guy just kind of sitting there in the corner, not freaking out about the zombie attack? Oh, you know, it it all just works out incredibly well. Yeah. No. Um. It's yeah. just it's it's so it was it's, a fun it's, movie. It's like it was of, a fun of movie. all the movies, yeah. it's like you know. No emotional response to it. No nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, technically really sound, but it just it was a, I, the most fun I had watching a movie. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It was a good time. Um, my number five is also a good time. Um, it is Pedro Almodovar's Pain Six and Underground. <laughs> that was not a good time. That movie was hard. Could you imagine Pedro Almodovar's Six Underground, though? It'd probably be pretty good. It'd be really good. Um, Pain and Glory... Um. Uh, again, another. I kind of stack these up. These like these emotionally open movies where um someone is writing about themselves. Um. This one is seems to be the most complex in that he is using the full range of film, um. Kind of like Lulu Wong was, but like to a greater extent, where there are literally metaphors and little symbols and images all over the place um that make this just uh, like a a much richer and uh more powerful experience and like it seems like it's going to be at first it just seems like it's going to be about antonio banderas being sad um and having a hurt back um but it's really just about uh, it's about creativity and it's about memory and it's about confronting certain aspects of your life and um about not wanting to be alone and it's uh it's all so beautiful and like it's like the least angry like we haven't spoken to each other in 30 years movie that i've ever seen and especially with so much anger like built around it right yeah and like it's all personal it's all like jabs and i mean heroin apparently is good cures makes people feel good um (laughs) Don't, don't not, take care of that, that idea. It's not not funded by. I'll put the spoiler. I'll put the spoiler alert thing here. Um, this is a not take heroin alert. I repeat, do not, not take, take heroin. heroin. You have been <laughs> warned. Um, but yeah, I mean, Pain and Glory is a, is a, is a great movie. And it's I love I love the twist at the end. Even though I kind of I just feel like I knew it was coming. Even though I like I didn't say it out loud. Um, where it becomes a it's like he's making a movie like the Penelope Cruz stuff becomes like you know a movie and it's like a movie inside of a movie mm. stuff which is really is it my turn or is it your turn? My turn. My turn. Uh, God. I feel like I'm... Heads. His heads. Oh, I didn't see it. Um, I'm going to go first only because um, so my number four is Elephant Sitting Still Hubo um Streaming on Criterion now. Um, wish I knew that before I paid for it last week, but it's fine. It was you only wish f- you had. It was rent- I rented it, so no. it's not like the end of the world. Um, That's why I always look up decider.com or just watch, see, like, where is it streaming? Okay. Yeah. Um, this is a kind of an incredible movie. Um, it is very quiet, it's very long, it's three hours and 54 minutes. Um, actually doesn't feel like three hours and 54 minutes it is told in a series of really long 
Should we like, should we review this at some point? You think? I'll, I'll I would be interested to hear what you had to say about it. Yeah. So you watch it and then you tell me if you want to like do a thing about I can't it. Talk about anything. Unless you fucking hate it though. But like, if we're gonna have like an Irishman I, conversation, like, then. <laughs> but if I dislike it, and you love it, it's still basically the conversation. It's good if you really dislike it. If you're just kind of like, it was okay. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? If you're just like, that's good. Whatever. Um, it's told in a series of really long takes. Um, and they cut. You know what I mean? It's not like all in one thing. There's four main characters. Um, but you get to see them interact with the city um, for a really long time. Like sometimes up to ten minutes. Like of just someone's face or two people's faces. Everything's really in close up. But you get this real visceral sense that they're still part of the city. I mean the story is that... There's four people, and they're going through tough times for various reasons. Some of they're interconnected, but they're also kind of... They all have their own backstory to why they're affecting them. And they've heard that there's an elephant in that's in a circus in the city in Manzuli, which I've, there's a terrible Chinese pronunciation of this word, um, that just sits. It doesn't do anything. It just sits all day, and everyone... You know, no one knows why it sits all day. It's, it, but it just sits. It doesn't do anything, and there is a real, real visceral sense of like emotional nihilism in this film, where all four main characters are just like nothing matters. Like none of this matters. Our life that we've been living doesn't matter. It's so quiet. It's so affecting. Um, it's again, if I, if the th- three movies that are before it hadn't come out, this would have been. Like, this would have been it. It is a, it is an intense like film experience. Well, also I can understand it has a great it has a great ending. I can also understand someone watching this movie and being like, I was bored out of my mind, because it the score only happens when like people are moving mm. and people when they show people moving and people aren't always moving. They stop. There's like these long takes. It's just it's so weird and good. And you don't know who anybody is. They're not like famous people in America. They're famous in China, I think. Um, but it's just really... A lot of people die. Um, there's suicides. People get pushed downstairs. People get burned. They get shot. Um, but like none of it feels gratuitous. It's They don't like show anything because I don't think they had much of a budget. Um, I mean, the kicker here is that Hubo was 28 years old when he made this and he killed he himself, himself yeah. right after right after he finished it. So um, it's hard not to... It's like a, listening to an album from someone who like died right after they made it or killed themselves right after they made it. It's hard not to kind of hear that stuff. Um, it's hard not to see some of the evidence of that in the film. Um, like the despair and the world is disgusting and all this other stuff. Um, but it is a it is an emotionally powerful film. It is a visually compelling film. Um, yeah, check it out. Get Criterion Channel and check it out. I think I know your top three. I just don't know the order. You should. I think I've talked about it a lot. So, no, I know, I What's know, your number four? I know your one. I, don't, I, think, I think I know what your two and three are going to be. Well, I don't know what your number four is going to be. So let's talk about that. Actually, let me guess. Is it The Nightingale? My number four is uh, the only and first animated film oh. to win the Nespero Grand Prix. It is Jeremy Clapon's I Lost My Body. Um, yeah, I don't... 
I don't know why I respond to this movie so much, but I just do. Because the hand is just moving freely around. It's, no, it's just it's it's harrowing where it needs to be, and it's 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 paced so incredibly well, um, and you know the kind of like no fell no no fell and um, you know Gabrielle's kind of romance, quote unquote. I would say is mm-hmm. is told just to a, <clears throat> told to a degree where it's it's unsettling his obsession with her um that it just everything feels good about this film mm. like watching this movie I watched this at the gym this is definitely a film that I did a disservice to by watching on my phone while running we all we all do it I started waves by on the, the way, phone today at 6.30 in the morning. So. I ran for like 70 minutes while watching this, ladies. So There you go. You did it. My ankle hurt so bad <laughs> afterwards. I switched to like a, like a different type of cardio. But you got a good movie. I did a get a good movie. movie but I, I did run for like 70 minutes while watching it. So. That's how you know it's good. Ladies. Put it on your Peloton screen, folks, and yeah. do some work. Not spend... Hundred dollars a month or whatever for that. Yeah. Um, but no, it's just, ev- you know, uh, it has it has these small, energetic moments, especially with the hand of of like real concentric sort of energy. Well, that's like, where the like, score comes in. It just like yeah, propels that stuff forward. Yeah. It. Um, and like you feel bad for a pigeon that gets his neck broken because it's just trying to look after its. Um, you know, younglings sort yeah. of thing. Uh, and and then you just get, like, the entire kind of, like, central romance story, which feels weird, but it feels very human. It feels very real. And it's, it's it's you know, not magical realism, but it's fantastical. It's a fantastical but really emotionally divergent and, and interesting tale being told as this really grounded romance. And you know where it's all leading. Like, every. Everything that's going to happen is telegraphed where you know he's losing his hand. You know his parents died. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but when those moments pay off, they fucking pay off. Well, because they're set up so beautifully. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that movie. I wish more people would watch it. Let's All right, here we go. Start guessing. Let's flip. Uh, tails. His heads. All right. Do you want me to go first so you can guess? No, no. It doesn't matter. Oh, okay. I'll go first because I'll go first because we talked about it already. Uh, parasite. Parasite. Um, it's weird because I agree with you one hundred percent. Bong Joon Ho's Parasite. My number three. I'm out of breath. Just ran up the stairs. There's a lot of stairs here. Top of the pivotal film tower. And then... Listen, William Howard Taft did not get enough exercise. Yeah, we didn't want that to and happen to so us. Here in the auditorium with our five thousand fans yep. watching us um we have the best sound um equipment in the world that's why you can't hear them ever. no they're they're quiet they're just <laughs> they're wrapped they're just enraptured with our voices <laughs> but they're not laughing at any of our jokes well we're not funny <laughs> <laughs> um all right so my number three is parasite it's weird because i agree with everything you're saying um i we had that long conversation about like how i just there wasn't like the same emotional connection that um I expected out of a great movie, but a perfect movie, all that other stuff. It's kind of like my widows of of last year, where it was. It's like objectively a better movie than Blaze, but Blaze like touched my soul, and Widows 
kind of did that, but it was just excellent. Parasite's a little like that too, except there is a visceral component to watching Parasite. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't feel good. And doesn't, I'm not saying that it feels bad. Um, but you still, f- you feel something. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, there's things moving around inside of you while you watch it. And it's because it's so expertly made. You don't have a connection to any of the characters. And you're just kind of watching, you're just experiencing characters going through this, like, unbelievably terrible thing. And, you know, things, terrible things are happening to them. And terrible things have happened to them. Um, and terrible things are going to continue happening to them. And you don't, like, necessarily wish that they could live their lives differently. You don't have that kind of connection to it. But I think just like any kind of um, amazing thing, there is a uh, there is an experiential quality that comes with having seen it. You know what I mean? I'm not going to forget when I saw Parasite. I'm just not. Because... You know, it was like a significant, significant day. It was my anniversary, um, but that's how we spent our anniversary. Once you oh, like, <laughs> did you watch it with your wife? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> just imagine you're like in a theater alone. No, we dropped the kids off at school, went to see Parasite. That's what you do, right? That's how you get stuff done. That, um, that gets me in the mood for having rocks thrown at my head. Um, it does. It's it. That was your honeymoon night, right? She she just bashed you in the head. She brained you. She just threw it at my... And then just went on, just went it. right for it. Um, then she stabbed a bunch of people in a yard. Um, it it does that stuff. It, I, I feel... I don't feel, like, emotionally connected the to it, but I your face. do feel, like, ruined by it somehow. You know what I mean? I do feel, like, touched by it. Mm. Um it's a, it's a really strange movie. I hope this momentum that's building um, lasts so that it can be the cultural touchstone that like we were denied um, for like two years in a row here. Um, I think it's a two it's a two picture race right now. I think I think so too. And I'm okay with either. Of those. I prefer Parasite, but I'm okay with the other one winning. I I'm okay with the other one winning in the sense that in the sense that I don't have to care about it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it doesn't mean anything. It's to a green society. book. It's a green book again. Well, but Green Book was like unfortunate yeah. for society. But I think the alternative was Bo- it seemed like the alternative was Bohemian Rhapsody, and so in that case, good job. Because okay. they were not giving it to Roma. <laughs> they for some reason did not want to give it to Roma. Whatever that was, we'll never know. Do it. Want to predict my number three? Is it uh, one of these has to be the Nightingale? I can't imagine the Nightingale is your number one. Okay. Is it the Nightingale? My number three is the German drama film written and directed by Christian Petzold, Transit. It's getting there. We're crawling right up to it, Mario. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh man. Spoiling it right now. Um, <laughs> Think uh, it's in your fucking corner. <laughs> I mean, now you know what my number one is. Is it really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, at least we have the same number two. Um, That's true. Yeah. That'll be good. <laughs> we did the same movie that we've talked about like endlessly tonight. Good. <laughs> All right. Now continue. Come on. Um, getting disposed. Um, no, but this movie just like knocked me down like just knocked me the fuck out yeah. um, 
transit. Um, you know, based upon a novel by Anna Cigars, written. I don't even know what nineteen. It's a World War II book. Yeah. It's a World War II book. I can't remember if it's just post World War II. I think it's just post. Yeah, either forty six um, or forty seven. But this it feels incredibly timely, um, and you get Franz Borgwinski, who would win my best actor today, just blowing it out of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's just those, there's three moments in this movie that um, Stan has kind of like just truly shocking great moments in the film uh, when he's talking to and I can't remember her name. Um, the other refugee who's been like kind of just showing up throughout the film. Mm-hmm. He's talking to her like on those old, like kind of not ruins necessarily, but the old, like the old part of town. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's talking to her. He the turns one with away. the dogs. They're, yeah. They're smoking cigarettes. Yep. He turns around, he turns back and she's gone because she's just killed herself. Yeah. She just has jumped off and, and died. Um, like just, that's like fucking that, just screams to like the entire listlessness and hopelessness of everything mm-hmm. um, with the world that that you surrounded yourself with, um, and then you know what ended up being my number one like what I'm you know would sorry gosh uh what is my number one moment of the year just that taxi ride like once again Franz just like his, his performance his non vocal performance there. Um, you know, I talked about that enough with number one, but then ending the film with George sitting in the wine bar, you know, after the Montreal has hit a mine uh-huh. and has, you know, exploded, everyone on board's dead. And, you know, you get the French police, you assume the French police are going to be the secret police from Germany mm-hmm. or whatever coming in. And he sits there just waiting for her. She's going to come in, you know, but they're really, the police are going to come in and just like, it's, it's a real, you know, I'd hate to say like 1984 moment, but like, that is like the perfect kind of like self convincing your, like convincing a fantasy world. Yeah. Sort of. Um, well, it doesn't even really matter. It's just, it's the, it's the uh, reintroduction of like the hope that something will be better that you know is never, never going to happen. Yeah. And then it cuts to talking heads road to nowhere. Yeah. Um, that's where that that's the moment where like this movie blew my socks off. I was like fucking because like the entire ever like Road to Nowhere and Psycho Killer has always been like my favorite Talking Heads songs, huh. but they've never been played right. Like it's never been played to like the emotional despair that I've always felt like David Byrne was saying those songs mm-hmm. in, and just choosing Road to Nowhere to be like like a lot of people. There's been a real Talking Heads renaissance lately, and people like listen to like Road Is to that Nowhere. True? Yeah, no, like Talking Heads have like exploded why the scene i don't know that's megan what scene that's megan and jordan um okay millennials yeah. love them why i mean shoulder I'll, pads man i've been shoulder listening pads. to talking heads for yeah i've been listening to talking heads 30 for 30 years my entire life so they were my favorite my mom's them and arrhythmics were my mom's like favorite band my dad played psycho killer for us when we were kids there was a, a band called the fools that used to do this record called uh psycho chicken that we've been listening to like our whole lives. There is a, um, what the hell is a documentary? Start making sense or does it stop making stop sense? Stop making sense. Uh, there is a cover band called Start Making Sense yeah. that literally tours the Eastern Seaboard mm-hmm. that will sell out every time they play around here. Why? Because Talking Heads. Why? But, <laughs> I don't know. That's not because but, <laughs> I mean that has nothing to do with this though. No, right? no, no, that has nothing to do with okay. this. But the fact that like. You know, 
Road to Nowhere is played where it meant, like, the way it feels. I'm just like, everything fucking doesn't mean, like, it's over. Yeah. Like, the world means nothing. And, like, you go to Mexico. If, even if Montreal hadn't made it to Mexico City, that fire is coming. Because nobody's doing anything about it. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's such an anachronism, too, because even though the movie is set in modern times and not World War II, um, and even though the conflict that um, is kind of surrounding this event is, is never named so much, it feels a lot like a period piece. You know what I mean? Mm. It just kind of plays like... It plays like a World War II movie. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, and then it just hits you with like the talking heads, and you're just like, well, that was weird. But it also feels, like you said, it feels 100% right. Um, and and it's right on message, if it's not right on sound or era. Um, but it's also weird because that's not a modern song either. Mm. So it's not the 40s and it's not 2000, you know, 19, 18, 17, whatever it was made. It's like this period in the middle. Um, but yeah, Transit is kind of amazing. Have you seen Phoenix yet? The Christian Petzold movie that he made before this? I, I haven't yet. Because no, that's it's the on one that Christian, everyone says is like... It's on a Christian channel. It's on Criterion, right? Um, I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, But that's when everyone says is like one of the great the great modern movies. So. Oh, we don't have to flip for number two, right? It is... Greta Gerwig's Little, Little Women. Um, yeah, I, I told you when we talked about this, it was a list breaker. Um, I was not prepared for it to be uh, number two on my list. I'm going to be very honest with you. There was a brief period where I was afraid it was going to be my number one. I was totally, but I was ready for it. I was like, it, I it can my justify one, I it. It my number it. one jump back and forth. And it should be my, like, for all intents and purposes, like, what, it, it wins my best adapted screenplay and best director, but. And best supporting actress. And best supporting actress and other things. And, and best supporting actor. And it also wins. Best film editing. It wins basically everything that should win number one. Um, but it, I don't know. My number one just... just yeah, okay, we'll, we'll get there. Um, but no, this is... It's fucking This fantastic. movie is great. It's yeah. a great movie. I, mean, I don't know what Greta Gerwig's doing. Like, that's... She's just, she's just excellent. Like, she just knows what she wants. She knows how things are supposed to feel. Her movies feel different. They don't feel like regular, like, shitty movies. They feel like... Um, a they don't new... feel like Noah Baumbach movies. No, they feel like she's kind of creating, like, a new language. Like, a new yeah. film. And she's not, like... She's not recreating film, but she's she's saying something new. Her, her movies feel like she is an observer. Like, she's looking at, like, what has happened before, the way people have made films or have mm, done stories before. And then she's like, no, no, that, that's a good point. What if I do this with it? Yeah, that's, that's how Lady Bird felt like. It felt like a real kind of like coming of age story, but it felt at the same time like you're looking at it going like, okay, like these are the hallmarks of the coming of age story, and I'll do those, but let's do something else with it. Yeah, or like an adaptation of like the classic novel. Like oh, like for some reason the 1994 film, which I don't think is that great, I think it's fine, is hailed and loved. She's like, okay, that's fine, but what happens if I? do something different with it. Why do I fuck with the timeline in order to kind of like create a new sense of like what's important? Mm-hmm. What happens if I change the ending, but don't really change the ending, but kind of like, just what if I make the it? ending a piece of meta 
fiction where like yeah. I'm commenting not just on the nature of the book but on the nature of like what it means to do anything in society as a woman. Yeah, exactly. Um and what happens if I like take like a kind of loathed character and Amy and kind of, you know, play with the timeline to make her an actual cared about character, but I do like commit to like the first 40 minutes of like playing up those tropes of you know, Amy's just going to suck again, mm-hmm. but then like put in that great turn, you know, yeah. like she, she just, she feels like a great observer who knows she feels like, like a, a director and she's still young. She's like what? 36, 37. Um, somebody's watched like a lot of movies, but she's and, also and willing like, to process them. Yeah. So she's but, like, watched a lot of, and just kind of like taking it in and it's not trying to like spit it back out. Right. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. just kind of no, like, she's not Todd Phillipsing it. Yeah. Or, yeah, I know, exactly. Or even, like, somebody, like, Ari Ostering it. Like, Ari Oster is, mm. like, watching Nicholas Rogue and be like, I can do that, I guess. He's trying. He's, he's, try- he's, he's trying. He's working on it. Yeah, but I mean, like, I, but I, I, I don't want to, like, shit. I don't, I don't want to undermine what, like, Greta Gerwig's doing. I think, like, Todd Phillips is an easy target because he fucking sucks. Yeah. Like, or, or, like, a Clint Eastwood. You know, like, Clint Eastwood watched a couple <sighs> movies and was trying to do something. But, like, no, like he... Ari Oster is, like, actually, ta- like, Ari Oster, I think, probably has a good film vocabulary, but yeah. he's not there I think yet. Alex Ross Perry is kind of the same thing. I think yeah. those, those, there's a class of people that are coming up now that have seen a lot of movies and aren't content to just, like you said, to Todd Phillips, to Clint Eastwood things, to just kind of be like, these are my influences. Can't you see them? Like, this makes me, g- I'm referencing the right stuff here, aren't I? Um... I, I feel like I feel like she's even have more of a sense of her own voice than like Darren Aronofsky has even, uh, to an extent of like. She knows Darren Aronofsky's still playing with like somebody like a Darren Aronofsky's still playing with things. I don't know. I mean, we we could do a films. We could. I mean, we, we'll get there with Aronofsky. We will process the rest of Aronofsky's yeah. like, catalog. No, for sure. But I feel like he's still playing with things. Where like Greg Gerwig kind of has like there's like a, a at least. There's a byline by which she's yeah. I don't know things. if I 100% agree with that, but I know what you mean. I think it's, Barry Aronofsky is a bad example. I think it's, no, I think it's prevalent example. in like the first four Aronofsky movies where you have. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm not comparing like Aronofsky now, but I'm comparing like the Requiem timeline for a dream, the of Fountain, and then yeah. Black Swan, and you're just kind of or uh, the the wrestler in Black Swan, and all five of those movies are Aronofsky movies clearly, but they're all totally different. Mm. None of them li- has literally anything to do with the other one except for the fact that. You could kind of see they were made by the same guy. They have it's like some of the same sensibilities. It looks similar. It like feels a little similar, but they're think, all different. I think like a maybe Alfonso Cuaron might be a better example. Like maybe mm. there's like a there's like a there's definitely a sense of like he saw a lot of movies. He he took in a lot of it, but he hadn't found like the pulse yet early on, or like in near two. They hadn't found like the pulse necessarily. They're yeah, still they wanted to do it, something, but they they there's there's they're throwing a lot at the table. Yeah, at the wall, I should say. Um, but they hadn't found out how to do that while also like rectifying what they wanted to say. Mm. Whereas it feels like Greta Gerwig kind of really like her fucking films feel like cheesecloth in the sense of she is throwing a bunch of shit in there, but she's able to like take it out, take out all like the whatever to refine it to well it's, it's to like the, what feels like she's getting it from it herself and it's to the point where again i don't like that she has these conversations and not because it's her because i don't like what anyone has these conversations about filmmaking i want i don't want to know this stuff but like when she talks about like what she watched when she was getting ready to make this movie and i'm just like i don't see it i don't see I, I, that I, I don't listen to any of that which I is, don't care but that makes me happy because it means that she's not just doing that thing 
You know what I mean? She's taking a, a, a small piece of that and she's doing what like artists have been doing forever and his, or the, the great artists have been doing forever and taking like a piece of what somebody is doing and then synthesizing that and filling a hole in their own art. And they're not using, they're not cribbing from it. You know what I mean? They're not like referencing it. They're not trying to use it to make their art seem more important. They're using it to like a, to make a Jurassic Park reference. You know what I mean? With the frog DNA. She's just using the frog DNA to complete the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah. That's what she's doing. I mean, and then there's people that use too much frog DNA and they get Indominus Rexes. And they make fucking Joker. And that's where, <laughs> that's where we are now. But yeah. I don't... But I still don't think Todd Phillips was actually trying to use other people's ideas to make his own idea. I think Todd Phillips was just an idiot who thought he could steal from other people to right. make a movie that could. But that's trick the whole people. point of the of Jurassic World, Mario. They thought they could just do something and they couldn't. Okay, that's fair. So I'm, I'm just, I stick by my analogy. Okay, All right, gonna, I'm going gonna... I'm I'm to go first. Okay, because I've already talked about my movie. <laughs> For at least, if you calculate and all the times I've talked about this movie on this podcast, it's got to be at least two I hours. I can only assume you're looking at me right now just fucking confused. No, I'm not conf- I'm like, I just want to know. Yeah. My number one is um, a movie that when um, we revisit the pivotal film list, you know, several years from whenever we finish doing this podcast, and, you know, over some beers we're talking about it, was going to be on my list. It is Claire Denise. Deep within a 2020 Democratic president. Yeah. Win. Let's okay. ho- let's hope so. I'm starting 2020 by just being convinced everything's gonna be fine. Good. Well, you can be the you can help me get there. Uh, Claire Denise, high life. Um, I honestly don't. I don't know what else is left for me to say about this movie. It is a work of um, supreme art. Um, I turned this movie. I when I was having my Little Women High Life kind of crisis within myself, I turned this movie on. And the first shot of those wet leaves with that kind of like nascent hum tone uh, tinder stick score. I was like, fuck it. I was like, I don't even need this. I know. You know when you know a movie so well, like internally, like it's you can see it like all in your head. You know what I mean? You can kind of just like play through it in your head. You can see the beats and you can feel the beats and you know what's going to happen. You can play like the... um, you know the sequence out it is high life is is one of those movies for me it is um it is graphic it, it is violent and it is uh f- one of the most thought-provoking films i've 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 yet encountered um it is taking all the chances in terms of uh narratively and visually, and it doesn't seem like it is. You know what's weird to think about, Mario? We did this whole big Claire Denis thing. This has to be the most interior Claire Denis film ever. Mm, yeah, for sure. There is no outside. There's the brief flashes of outside when he's when they show Robert Pattinson as a kid or Mia Goth on that train. I re- we talked about this when I was fucking... 27 shots of Rum Deep? Who knows how many shots of Rum Deep? That I just did not get this movie at all. I um, still don't get it. Oh, it's just so fucking good. And it's a, I mean, I love going. I love going back to it because I love like pulling new things out of it. And I love. It's gonna be an interesting. It's it's gonna be an interesting starting point for 2020 because I doubt very much that anything is going to do, like, what High Life did. 
I think 2020 is going to be so you had a you had a kind of a problem with this year. I think 20, 2020 is going to be my problem year. Remember we make that was fine. That we'll talk was, about this last we, we'll talk about that next week. That was all right. I'm go, I'm going chalk next week, my friend. There's some good chalk coming up and that might be, that might be where Kaufman I stay. Chalk. Kaufman chalk, we got Villeneuve chalk, we got uh, you know, we got all sorts of chalk. Kelly Reichert chalk coming soon. It's all there. Two years in a row of the same movie on my anticipated list. <laughs> um, all right, Mario. This is it. Number one. My number one's Dragged Across Concrete. <laughs> is it you really? Imagine, could you imagine? Oh, man. Um, no. That would be a surprise. My number one is Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale. Mm-hmm. Last year, um, I don't have access to it, but I don't think House That Jack Built made my top 10 didn't make either of our top 10s and we forgot to put it in moment we forgot to put the ending in our moments yeah we both like kicked her because i think we felt weird putting it like i think we felt weird celebrating it you know what i mean it felt like a weird movie to be like it's so good it's excellent like let's have a let's have a party oh (laughs) the my my phone went off but played a podcast what podcast was that the watch they were talking about Stephen King's The Outsider. Okay. Which I've heard is good. Is that a new one? Is yeah. That a new book? Um, I've sat on that for a year. And I just keep bringing up the house that Jack built. Yeah, me too. I just keep bringing it up. We did a real disservice to the house that Jack built. I don't think we did. I think we did a good job. I don't know. I f- okay. I feel like I did a disservice to the house that Jack built in terms of like where I feel it. Where I feel it's going to influence how I feel about things. Mm. I think I was just closer to... I, I was more attuned to Von Trier and ready to kind of, like, find... Ready to kind of weirdly love it. Yeah, and I, I, I've always had that kind of that weird experience with Von Trier where I was kind of, you know, there, and I was kind of, like, close with it. Um, you know, breaking the waves definitely kind of ruined me. Uh-huh. Um, but nothing else, you really like Dancer in the Dark to an extent, but mm-hmm. not so much. Um, but my experience with that movie made me think of like just being in tune with the things that are gonna just dig in, dig into the gut and rip it apart. Um, and the Nightingale is the movie that I think is gonna be the thing. It's gonna. It, it feels like the film that just tore into the gut is gonna rip it apart. It hmm. wins nothing else tonight. Yeah. Like it, it got nominated for a bunch of stuff. It has won nothing tonight because I think it's. I think Jennifer Kent's doing a lot of fucking great work here. Mm-hmm. I think that screenplay's great. I think she directs it well, but it's like just not hitting that pinnacle. But it tears in. It it it, it is absolutely raw when it needs to be. Like fucking, it is raw. A baby's head gets on Let's screen, throw a baby at the wall. bashed against a wall. Women get raped multiple times. Um, but it's relentless in in its pursuit of what it's emotionally trying to say, and mm-hmm. it, it misses the mark a lot of times. But for me, I rewatched it, and I was like, "Oh, it's still." making the mark and i think the best films for me always make the mark like they they set a new 
nothing this year for me would change my opinion of film mm-hmm. except for this. Hmm. Like this is the one film I saw this year that I feel as though maybe, maybe parasite to a certain degree, but once again, it's intellectual. So it's not mm-hmm. as important. Um, Nightingale is the movie that like I could feel I could come back to. It, it hmm. feels, you know, it, like much like House That Jack Built, like it has that Hobbesian element to it. And it has that kind of like Discourses of Levy by like Machiavelli element to it of just this kind of like violent ripping apart of the state. You know, it's it's an established state and it's just violently ripping apart. Literally um, in Von Trier's case. Yeah. Um, and it feels so prescient in, in, in like like our time. Like like this movie I don't know, it's it's so underscored, but it just it just kinda like keeps coming back to me in the sense of like comparing it to like how I feel about the world today. Mm. Like Nightingale has kind of been the movie that has kind of stuck with me as like, oh, the voiceless have a a voice. Well, it's interesting. No matter how violently they have to rend that voice, like it's there. Well, it's I think to your point, and like it just occurred to me when you were just saying that, is that she is saying, I think essentially, it doesn't matter how violent we need to be to get this back. To the way it was because you were as or more violent getting it to the place where it is now. No. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not like a two wrongs don't make a right thing. It's like you have one wrong and we can only correct it with another wrong and it doesn't make a right. It just makes things back to the way they need that to be they needed to, or that they should have be. been before yeah. you um, came and made everything wrong. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, you and you have, you know, like Anseline Francesca's um Claire, you know, mixed with Billy, you know, like, like they've had different things torn from them. Billy's had everything torn from him, mm-hmm. torn from him. And she has to a degree, but it's, it's much more of like a, she still has her color. Yeah, exactly. She still has a place she can end up in, you yeah. know, being a quote unquote criminal, but uh-huh. like, they still have to reduce themselves to this like element. Um, and that ending where he just kind of like is dying kind of on the beach you know, just just really being raw and, and just of his people, and she's just kind of still sitting there, and it kind of shows that separation, just like really hits. You know, it's it's like they, like she isn't, she's you you you've been with her that entire time, and and you've felt like I mean, it's her baby's head getting smashed against the fucking wall. Yeah, it's her being raped, like repeated, like several, like once, twice, you know. Um, but what's happened to her is 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 nothing compared to what's happened to the Aboriginal people. Well, and, it's and, funny. and it's just like, it's, it's kind of just like, it's, it's like in that moment where he's doing that dance. Yeah. And you see the Aboriginal woman like being raped. Um, and like, if we're talking about people who have had like a fucking year besides Florence Pugh, Damien Hermanman yeah, yeah. has had a fucking year, like his, you know, playing Roos in this and then playing Charles Manson twice. Um, and both like, my Hunter season two mm-hmm. and also in once upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah. Like the guy's had a the guy's always been a good actor, but, um, you know, just like you realize that she still has like that level of privilege in that last kind of last scene. Well, and she doesn't have this, she doesn't have what she has. So like we love 
in our society to believe, or the people that want to believe it, that like our organized religions have just been around for forever, and they're like the foundation of civilization. Blah 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 blah. But and she comes from she's Irish. She, there's no you know is there a more religious country than Ireland? I, you know I don't know. Um, but his goes back further. No. And when the chips are on the table, meaning like he's gonna die, like he has a place he can go. He has a place he can reach back and touch all those people. Um, she does not. And she's not any different than the guys that like put her in that position. You know what I mean? Than the guys that raped her necessarily. Um, which is makes and it one she of those, is, but she's she like, is, but she's also it, it's one of those she's she has still, less of a connection to the hero, like right. one of the heroes of the film. Right. She's still an imperialist. In a way, she's one. still an imperialist. You know what I mean? She's still part Not by of her own choice. Like she's definitely no, but she's like, in her, transition. Right. But, but her color, yeah, her color aligns her to those to those ideals. And before she got into this situation, like she was still like saying shitty stuff to Billy. She still didn't trust him. It's not like she's like, yo, we're the same. No, she's you know a I mean? piece she of shit was, to him. Like, yeah, the first absolutely. Hour well, that's that's weird. It's. It's an interesting movie because it got marketed so oddly. Like, all the... Like, there's the one poster of her face, but then there's the other one of her, like, with a gun running through the woods. It's like, she didn't do anything. She killed that one guy, and then she shut down for, like, the whole rest of the movie. Like, there is the separation there also. She can't keep... She's not going to keep killing people. But that's where, like, the division comes to, because, like, Billy and his, and his people, they just have to keep killing people. You know what I mean? Because and, uh, they're going to be wiped. Right. Because, like, his entire family has been wiped off. Right. Because of fucking, you know, Sam Cleffin and the great, the tribe. It is a very, it's a very complex Sam Cleffin movie. also very great in this movie. Mm. There's, a, there's, like, multiple. Very terrible, but very great, yeah. Multiple, like, uh, people in this movie I wanted to nominate in supporting actor. They could only pick one. Why could you only pick one? Um, Because the other four were, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Ben Gale's an interesting choice. It's a it's a good choice. It's not like a weirdo choice. It's not child's play. It's like a legitimately like excellent movie. Thank you. Thank you for validating my opinion. <laughs> you, just, you don't have to be afraid of it. Well, I'm not afraid of it. Oh, okay. I just found it. No, I found it hilarious when you're sitting there like, Diane Gale's coming out at some point. You're like, he kept your number one. He said that in like, you know, after. I'm just surprised because of all the stuff we just went through. Like, Like, you know. Little Women took stuff, and we've talked endlessly about Little Women, but, like, you know, there's Nightingale right Nightingale, there. so Nightingale, like, tears, like, Little Women's what I'd expect to like. Yeah, 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 I get it. And, I, like, yeah. it's, it's great. It's still fucking fantastic, and Parasite's also what I expect to like. Nightingale's not, like, Nightingale, like, pulled up a mirror. Well, and it's, it's strange, because I feel like, I think I understand what you're saying about, like, Relating it to the House of Jackville, because I do feel like even though Blaze is a great movie, and even though House of uh, uh, Beale Street's a great movie, and Widows is a great movie, and uh, Attorney's Gate's a great movie, and First Reform is a great movie, and Mandy's a great movie, House of Jackville kind of hovers over like the whole year, um, in that like I just think about it all the time. I'm mean, like, not gonna be honest. Like I don't think House of Jackville or Nightingale makes my top five. And not a Trump presidency, almost. It's a weird thing to say. Oh, see, I, I, I mean, I don't know if that's that's necessarily true. No, that's not necessarily true. But I think it, it's a more prescient moment of of like self reflection. Yeah. Those movies yeah, are yeah, more yeah. like okay, like the world we live in 
it makes it more self-reflective for me to kind of like look at the rawness of how I feel. Well, there's and a, like to like these movies, those movies dig into like me House of Jack built not so much. Yeah, House of Jack built maybe like more of a raw thing of what I see other people, and Nightingale's more of like what I see in myself. Hmm, that's interesting because I was going to make the comparison between House of Jack built and, and uh, an elephant sitting still, and that they're both just movies about people who have given up. And they're just like, well, what do I do? Like, what do I, what do you do if you give up, like on life? Yeah. Like, what's what's the next stage here? And and an elephant sitting still, like it's, you know, they're just, they don't know. Like, in the, in the in, by the end of the movie, they don't know either. And in House at Jack Bell, he's just like, well, I'm gonna do all this terrible fucking shit, and then just see where it goes. Well, what else? Well, I mean, and that's a direct relationship. Yeah, Bruno Gans is going to show me rat catching. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, and that's a direct relationship to um, what I think Lars von Trier has been feeling. And I think reading some stuff from Jennifer Kent too. I think Jennifer Kent was kind of feeling the same way. Like I don't think anyone wanted her to make this movie. I think she just I felt she compelled. Wanted, even wanted to make I think she just it. felt compelled to do it. Well, this isn't the follow up you make to Baba Duke. No, it's not. And the response to it is clear evidence that nobody wanted her to make this movie. So. Um, but yeah, all right. Uh, you got anything else? No, that's 2019. There it is. There it is, folks. So, uh, well, not as good of a year as 2018. No, it was. It was um, a different year. It was different. Yeah, I was been saying this to a lot of people last year. I felt can we can we can we can we openly 10. admit though that like Greta Gerwig not being nominated for best director is bullshit. It's total fucking bullshit. Yeah, especially because it's not like she didn't get nominated for someone. Who like deserve to? Not that I think any of these people deserve it more than she does, anyway. But I understand the mentality like behind four who, of them. I can understand Sam yeah. Mendes. I can understand. Um, I understand Martin Scorsese. I understand Quentin Tarantino. I get it. Like I don't agree with it. I know, I, but I get it. There's no fucking way Todd Phillips gets. No, no. It doesn't make any sense. Fuck it you, makes Todd Phillips. No sense. Todd Phillips, if you and Lawrence Kasdan are hanging off the side of a mountain, and I have to save one of you, save Larry. You know what? I'm hoping Kasdan writes Empire Strikes Back Part 2. He wrote Empire Strikes Back Part 1. That should be enough to save him. Well, but I mean, like, he's old, so how much more does he have to offer? But whatever it is, it's better than what Todd Phillips has to offer. Oh, especially now. Todd Phillips, you're the fucking Macaulay Culkin to Lawrence Kasdan's Elijah Wood. Aren't you? How does that make you feel, you fuck? Aren't you? You fuck. <laughs> or, no, let's make this a murder by numbers one, too. You are... That would make... Todd Phillips, Ryan Gosling, and Lawrence Kasdan, Michael Pitt. And you are Sandra Bullock. That's... We did it. I think we did it. Who was the mom in A Good Son? You keep talking. Don't you... Aren't you, like, living in mortal fear of, like, whatever this next Todd Phillips movie is? Oh, God, I hope not. Like, Um, whatever he makes next is going to be so, like, sanctimonious and full of shit. Oh, it's going to be a nightmare for everybody. Wendy Crewson. That was the mom and good son. Well, Todd Phillips is now like producing this fucking nonsense Leonard Bernstein Bradley Cooper movie. He's Leonard is Bradley Cooper gonna be Leonard Bernstein? Oh my god. And who was writing it? The fucking guy did Spotlight. Um Tom McCarthy? No, no, Tom no, Tom McCarthy didn't write Spotlight. Uh Josh uh I think he co wrote. But Josh Singer, who would then write the post. So not not batting a thousand. Who's directing it? And First Man. Who's directing? Oh, it, it, uh, the, I think it's... Uh, Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. So Bradley Cooper playing Edward Bernstein. Is this, next, this is coming Net- out next year? Netflix. Not, I don't know if it's 
2020. I think it's oh, if it's Netflix, I can ignore it. Netflix movies are ignorable. <laughs> There's so much. I could watch a stand-up special or a cooking show. I don't have to watch that. But I think it's Bradley Cooper directing a Leonard Bernstein movie with him playing Leonard Bernstein. Oh, Jesus. By a Josh Singer. So, you know, after Josh Singer wrote The Post and First Man. I feel like... And Todd I mean... Phillips is producing it. All right. Mario, on that note... You're going to vomit? I feel, I feel bad. Like, I feel, like, legitimately terrible hearing this news. It's terrible. Um, you know what news you can feel good about? You know what's happening next week? List episode. A list episode. Whoop, whoop. And we're going to talk about Bad Boys for Life. And a Doolittle, I guess. Oh, man. And because we're talking about movies coming up, we're going to be talking about our uh, most anticipated movies. I had uh, most anticipated in my top ten. And nominated for a bunch of things. So that was that made me happy. Her Smell was on my list last year. I don't... I don't think any of my most anticipated ended up making my list. Because I was no. really looking forward to Lighthouse. I was really looking forward to Under the Silver Lake. I remember what else I was looking forward to. I don't know. Huh. Mm. There we are. Well. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you made out like gangbusters. I got my high life. That's all I need. Is there any movies that did not make anywhere on your list this year that you feel like there are movies that should be watched in 2019 i have one i didn't mention it at all but it's a movie i think should be watched because it has some value i don't know it's hard to say uh so the one movie i have is villains yeah, you like that. That Make a Monroe, um, Bill Sarsgaard, Jeffrey Donovan, Kiersey Sedgwick movie. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't going to come anywhere near my list, but it's like the one movie where I was like, oh, that's the one movie I kind of like. I don't think Hidden Life is a good movie. But I wouldn't. It's actually weirdly like Terrence Malick's most accessible film because it's about something. Mm. That's also its main problem is that it's about something. Like Terrence Malick's just like, I can make the movie about something. Oh, just pick Nazis. Nazis in grass. Nobody likes those people, right? Nazis and people that are just always laying in grass. That's what this movie's about. Um, but it's it's still a Terrence Malick movie. It still looks beautiful. It's he's he's leaning really heavily into some moves now, like just really leaning all over him. Um, like the low shot angled up, or that's low shot angled up. The fisheye, oh, the fucking fisheye, man! It is. There's a, a lot of fucking fisheye. Just the way that, like, the kind of swooping camera, like, it settles on a face, because there's not, they're not doing anything. It's not. It's not purposeful now. You know what I mean? Like, I talked a little bit in Tree of Life, when I talked about Tree of Life with our best of the our best of the last twenty years, that like those moves seem purposeful and they hmm. seem to be full of meaning. Now they just seem like a thing he does. And I couldn't, I can't imagine who his camera operator is just being like, do I really have to do this again? Like, like from the other side now? Like, yes, yes, do yes, I yes. have to do it? Yes, of course. I mean, it's interesting. I don't know. Lubezki, I don't think, made a movie this year. He didn't have one that came out. So it's interesting that he didn't do Hidden Life. I mean, he did Night of Cups, and Night of Cups was not a real movie. It was not like a highly anticipated. Who's doing, who's doing? Is Lubeski doing Dune, or is that Deacons? No, it'd be Deacons. It's Deacon Villanue, yeah. 
I think so. Why wouldn't it be? I'm wondering that. All right, we are creeping in on two hours and 50 minutes, so maybe oh, we should put we <laughs> a bow on this. Um, we got a list episode next week. We got some more movie reviews. We got anticipated things. Um, until we talk to you. That's Greg Frazier, whoever that is. That's weird. No Deacons. Okay. All right. Well, um, chew on that. 2020 for you. We'll talk about that, I guess, next week. Drink uh, a beer. Uh, watch, watch all the movie. movies we just talked about. Watch Blade Bad Runner. Boys for Life. Yeah, watch that. Do not watch Duo. Do not. Uh, and we will talk to you next week.